Hello and welcome to the Clock and Talk, an Arsenal podcast, and we're covering for fuck's sake. Good job, me and Schwinn are a lot more prepared than you, because if we came on and went, oh yeah, we didn't watch the game either, we was on the piss, it'd be a pretty shit podcast. Well, Mesut is the best number 10 in the Premier League. Yeah, that all looks good on paper, but there's never been a football match played on paper, so it's not really worth much. I'm going to make a bold prediction that Jack Wilshere will sign for West Ham United. It's time to start watching football with your eyes. I think people listen to what the commentator's saying and have that as their own opinion, but if you watch what's going on, you'll see things a lot clearer. Schwinn, who do you think is going to win the Golden Boot? I think Alexis Sanchez may do a number on that this year. <laughs> okay. Tony talks about a clock being right twice a day. Tez is right every day. Right from five, lads. Fucking beauty. Hello and welcome to the Clock and Talk podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. You can follow us on Twitter at clockend underscore talk. We're also on Facebook, uh, all good podcast apps, as well as YouTube. Um, we haven't recorded for some time, and I apologise for that. We couldn't get our times sorted, so and then international break and whatnot. But we've got Tony with us this week. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. And what you mean when you said we couldn't get our timing sorted is that you had a choice between this podcast and another one, and you chose the other one. So, Shrim was away, so I couldn't podcast on my own because it would have been a weird conversation. What do you think happened? Yeah, I don't think it was good. Yeah, it would have been a bit weird. So, uh, you snaked us, and and Shrim was on holiday or some shit. So, let's let's tell our audience the truth before we start making up. All the timings weren't right. Fuck, I'm absolutely getting smashed, aren't I? Me and Gaz are on someone else's podcast, first time in two years, and I haven't fucking looked back, have I? <laughs> um, you saw the light. You saw your name in big lights and thought, that's it, the Tez show. <laughs> um, and Schwinn's not with us this week, but we're brought in uh, Jack. You may know him as uh, The Plug AFC. How are you, Jack? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Taz. How are you? I'm great, mate. Great, as always, buddy. I'm happy to be talking Arsenal, and uh, after yesterday's shit show, we will get into it, but hey, I'm, I'm happy to get into it and talk about this, what this fucking game was all about. Um, Tony, let's start with the lineup because that was obviously the one that everybody was talking about to start with, but I, look, for me, it was, I don't know what else he could have gone with. For me, I mean, I think he has to start Aubameyang and Lacazette together. Everyone knows my grievances with Lacazette. It's not that he's a good player, but I'm going to say this again after yesterday's game. He will never, ever, ever be able to play as a nine on his own in the Premier League. Okay, you might have the odd game where he scores or he does well, but in general, long term, it is not the answer. And that's not saying he's a bad player. He's just not a nine that can play alone. Um, So... I don't know if what way Emery could have worked to get them both in the team, but that's his job to figure out a way to make it work. Um, the, I kind of feel sorry for Emery in the midfield, to be honest, because the Elneny is, one, not good enough, and two, seriously out of match practice. But if you believe the rumours that Ramsey isn't 100% fit, then Gwendouzi and Elneny was sort of our only option. I mean, I've seen people since, with hindsight, playing are saying, sorry, try Iwobi there or try Mkhitaryan there. But can you imagine if he'd done that and we and we had the exact same performance? He'd be absolutely hammered. So I think he made a mistake in terms of the just the, what how we started in an attacking sense. But in midfield, I kind of, although it wasn't the best, I kind of don't really see what he could have done. 
Yeah, no, look, I agree. And, and that's where I was saying I, I don't know what he could have done, El Nenny Guendouzi. Um, I did see on Granite's Instagram about 20 hours beforehand, he posted a picture saying it's great to be running again. I was surprised he, he wasn't there, obviously didn't pass the last-minute match fitness. Um, and there, obviously there's, there's talks now of Ramsey couldn't make it because he was a little bit injured as well. I agree with you, Lacazette um, shouldn't have been playing up on front on his own. But he seems to like Lacazette, so... Uh, Jack, your thoughts on the lineup, mate? I thought, if I had to be honest, I thought that it was all over as soon as I saw the, the team news. And I'm not trying to be a defeatist here at all, but what this is what, what my opinion is is that it's great playing Gwendozi, and this to an extent you can filter own any with the same sort of issue, but it's just not the case. And that's that when you're playing an inexperienced uh, centre player such as Gwendozi, you have to play somebody more experienced next to him, so like a Xhaka or a Ramsey, or even to some extent a Torreira, who is a lot more composed in that position and can essentially direct the other player into where to be with the ball and where to be on the pitch. And I thought we lacked that massively. There was no structure in the midfield because the way that Emery plays is five of the back formation. He needs two commanding centre midfielders and we just couldn't have had something further away from that. i probably go as far to say as a partnership, it was probably one of the worst partnerships we've seen in the club for years. Yeah, um, the only thing is, obviously the point that I think Tony made about the playing Iwobi there or... Or um, or who was who's the other option? Mickey. Mickey. The other shout is, and I know I know Tez is a bit of a <laughs> doesn't really like Kyle Jenkinson. But what if you play Jenko at right back and put Ainsley into his natural centre mid position? Because that is where he's essentially been groomed to play. Yes, he doesn't play there for us, but it's not that impossible. He put a great shift there against United last season. Was, wasn't he man of the match? Or didn't he Pogba commend him for it or something? Yeah, he got man of the match. I think, uh, again, I agree with you, but I think it's the same situation where if he'd done that and we had the type of performance we did and Jenko played as bad as uh, Ainsley did, then, again, he would have got hammered. So I, I think a lot of it, well, I agree with you, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think a lot of it we're saying in hindsight. Yeah, look, no, exactly. I, 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 I say exactly the same, you know. Uh, we're type of coming at this because we did lose the game, but we'll get on to the game in a minute. But if we had won the game, well, then we'd be going, oh, well, he got it right. So it's it's a catch-22, isn't it? It's, I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have said, let's roll the dice, but we didn't know this was going to be the result. Um, Tony, look... I always say, it seemed like, you know, when we come out of the blocks fire and we seem to go well, but, geez, that first 20 minutes or, or pretty much the whole game, Everton were all over us. Yeah, I don't know. It's so... Do you know when there's like one or two things that have gone wrong and they're small issues and you lose the game, you can kind of pinpoint if we'd have done this better, if we would have done that better. When it was absolutely everything, I don't think there was a single area of the pitch where we were better than them. I don't think there was a single area of the pitch where we could say even we'd done okay or all right. I think we were below par in every single aspect of the game. So it's kind of hard to look at and go, if this would have happened, if that would have happened. I'll be honest, I've not watched the highlights back. So I've only seen it what I saw at the game because I refused to watch that bullshit back. I wasted enough of my time already watching it live. Um <laughs> So I know we were moaning very early on for a penalty on Lacazette after he'd let the ball go. 
I have no idea if it was. I haven't seen it back. It was down the other end of the pitch. So one of you two is going to have to enlighten me on that. But in general, we offered absolutely nothing and we got what we deserved, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to add anything on that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I haven't rewatched it either. But one thing I just want to say is it doesn't really matter if it was a penalty. If it wasn't, because at the end of the day, we shouldn't be relying on a what could have been a penalty from Lacazette to be the reason why we get a point away at Goodison Park. Obviously, Goodison's a hard place to go. But it's... Look, as I'll get on to later, I'm sure we all will, it's not the end of the world, the result. It's not ideal in any shape or form. But at the same time, we should have gotten three points. And... Could it, look, we're just lucky that the way the pack is at the moment and the games they've got coming up, it does mean that we had, did have an allowance to, to drop a certain amount of points. It's just annoying that we did it the first attempt at that, if that makes sense. Uh, the first game that... In, of, it, can you see where I'm coming from? Like, what I worked out was prior to Spurs playing Liverpool, we could have dropped six to nine points and still come third. And it's just annoying that we've dropped one like, a set of three in essentially there and then first game or, or first game on the bounce rather than, let's say, a Wolves, because now it makes games against Wolves now more of a must-win than it, than it necessarily needed to be if we would have got the points yeah, yesterday. Yeah, that's going to be a scary game coming up. We'll, we'll get into that a bit shortly. Um, Tony, the look, uh, the, the goal that was um, Everton scored. Now, there's a, a lot of Arsenal fans, and we all seen it, and I've looked back on the replays, and... It was on the back of a foul throw. Um, they were saying offside. I don't think it was offside. There was no offside. They're definitely on the back of a foul throw. I think we may even may have some questions. It wasn't about a foul throw. You, you're saying it wasn't, Jack? There was a report I read this morning from somebody who basically published the rules on Twitter, saying that the reason it wasn't a foul throw was because both legs have to be touching or behind the line and his leg was partially on the line and his other leg was a significant away or like off the pitch if that makes sense so okay. based on that it, it looks as though it wasn't which is a little bit more unfortunate but then again it doesn't really make a difference yeah I, no, well that's what I, I was going to say so, sorry Tony I was just going to say look at the end of the day I don't think it made a difference because we were woeful woeful at like I know that was only 10 minutes in but the game itself was absolutely shocking so yeah sorry Tony you go I mean, I, I, I've not seen whoever Jack said he's read that report from, but I'm pretty sure it's wrong. I'm pretty sure the rule is no part of your foot is allowed to be in front of the line, and it's clear that a large part was. But having said that, I completely agree with everything you both said, that it doesn't matter. And foul throws never get called. In reality, if you go, if you not go, if you watch any game, of probably 90% of the throw-ons are foul throws, in all honesty, and they never, ever get given. So... I'm not even going to complain about it, but I think by the letter of the rules, it was a foul throw. Um, also, I've seen some people go in our Premier League again, not having VAR, if we had VAR this year. VAR wouldn't have ruled that out because uh, it cannot test restarts. So if the ball is dead, uh, VAR doesn't come into place. I mean, it was a case where, I don't know if anyone watched the Tottenham-Liverpool game last week, when obviously we didn't pod because Tez was busy doing another podcast. But uh, Tottenham's goal came from a free kick and people were unsure if the ball was still moving or if it had stopped when Harry Kane passed it. And again, VAR wouldn't be able to test that because it can't, it doesn't check restarts. Um, so again, even if VAR was in, that goal yesterday still would have stood. And as I said, I personally think it was a foul throw, but uh, I don't have a single leg to stand on to argue. Like, yeah. that we... We were lucky to get zero yesterday. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, fuck, where am I going to go from here? I'm going to touch on a couple of players, boys, because, you know, we were um, under a fair bit of pressure pretty much the whole game. Tony um, Socrates, mate, the, he got a yellow card in the 25th minute. He, I Did he get... Uh, now, there is talk he does miss two games on that. Can you just clear yeah. that up? Yeah, two-game ban, 10th looking. So he misses Watford and I think Palace... I mean, Watford away and I think it's Palace at home, the one after that. OK, so now him and Mustafi made as a pairing. How do you think they went just there? Uh, look, I... I don't think, as I said, I, I don't think any of our players were above a 6.5 yesterday, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But if I did have to list our three best players, and I'm not including Awobi because he only played 20 minutes, um, but he probably he would have been in there. But of our players that started, if I had to list three players, our three best players, I would go with Leno and the two centre-backs to be two of the, like Socrates and Mustafi in yeah. whatever order. Yeah, I don't think they're brilliant. As I said, they were yeah, probably yeah. six point five. But when everyone else is a four, then that's they're there. So I, I don't really I don't know what to say about the partnership. It's difficult when they they weren't good, but they were your best players or mm. up there. They're at least in with a shout. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I think was it Troy that done the poll after the game, and I think he had Leno won it, and I think he he had Ozil in there. He had one of the, any of the above, and then I think Socrates was the the other one, and. Socrates came second to Leno on that poll that he done. Um, so it is a difficult one to sort of comment on that partnership. Well, I, I think it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, and since you mentioned Troy, yeah. Yeah, so Troy is, uh, you know, we've got a WhatsApp group going and a couple of our dedicated listeners are there. So we just handed the, our Twitter account over to Troy and I thought he did a great job. So, um, look, and I threw him under the bus. I said, mate, at the start of the game, I said, even if you... We lose the game, try and come up with a couple of men of the matches, and even if you've got players who are, you know, a, a four or something, like, I know it's hard, so he, he, he was just, I, I, I don't know who I would have picked, to be honest, I was like, I don't know what four he's going to pick here. Um, Interestingly, just, just, yeah. just, just quickly, one thing that Tony said, which I do agree with massively, is when he's talking about the two centre-back partnership. And, I know, and I'm not saying Mustafi is a good footballer in any shape or form here whatsoever, but I actually thought he had quite a solid game yesterday. I thought that for once, he was a lot more consistent in his challenge. And yes, he did make a few errors, but compared to how he has been the rest of the season, it was actually one of his better games, despite the rest of the team's results. And I see a lot of people slagging him off with performance. And the truth is, he actually was not that poor yesterday. No, I, I, thought, I thought he was our second best player, to be honest. Yeah, I thought he had a good game, boys. Like, uh, you know, he, there was a couple of good, um, good balls that he put up, and he was trying to play long to to Lacazette to get him running, I suppose, to, to, for a chance. There was uh, that one, one or two slide tackles there that he made. I know Tony's not a big fan of the slide tackle, are you? But uh, look, there's a time, no, there's a time and a place for time tackle. I'm not a fan of him lunging. I think that's completely different. I think a timed slide tackle is one of the most beautiful things in the game because it gets everyone on your side. He'd done one in the first half uh, on the halfway line, give or take, where he absolutely wiped everyone out, got up and just like jogged out with the ball. And when that happens, it gets the crowd going, it it pumps energy through the team. So that's a good time for it. It's when he'd lunge him for no apparent reason. And that's not just him. He does it more than others, but it's when anyone does that, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Socrates, lo- so- Socrates loves a lunge. 
Yeah, he does love lungs. Um, okay, half time, Jack. Uh, look, we all knew we had to do some substitutions, and uh, El Nenny went off. Uh, who else went off? Claus and that. He went off. Bemian came on. Ramsey came on. Thoughts on them? That the Emery get that right, mate. It's hard to say he got it right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> at that I, point I, of the game, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to throw any shade at Emery because I'm very, very impressed with the job he's done. But what upset me the most about this challenge, 100% was the right thing to do. But then you can't help yourself but dwell on the fact that that should have been our starting lineup before the game. That mm. the way the midfield was set out, probably the four at the back. I think it's very easy. To, and I'm not, as I said, there's no criticism at Emery whatsoever because I'm very impressed by him. But yes, it's all great looking, being looked upon as that tactical master who brings on two players at half-time and can change a game. But on the realistic level, those two substitutions to change the game shouldn't be needed. We should have been set out properly to begin with. And if we were set out properly, I do think we played better in the second half. Not, obviously, weren't great, but it was, a, it was a much more... I think we were a lot more negative in our play in the first half. In the second, we had stages when we played positively, despite the fact we couldn't get anywhere. I think the, I, I think the only difference I would have made... Earlier on, as I probably would have done the Iwobi, the Iwobi substitution probably at half time and maybe waited for for Kalasinac in that retrospect. But I mm. thought that I thought that they were the right substitutions. They were just they shouldn't have needed to be substitutions in the first place. They should have been. We should have set out in the first place. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You like for example, like for, oh, I I completely disagree. Um, the, I think the whole first half, obviously it didn't work, but our whole game plan was trying to get the ball wide to Kolasinac to pull it in. And then, and to be honest, he, he was over-crossing because he had no one in the box because, again, we know Lacazette's going to come short. And Lacazette done a lot of good work short. So, again, I'm not criticising him. But then when the ball go, does get wide, there's no one in the area. So you bring a Bamiang on who you think, OK, there's, there's a target in the area now. And take Kalasnac off, which didn't really make sense. Well, I was, to me. I was, I wasn't cussing Kalasnac. I didn't mean against Kalasnac. I, I, I honestly would have kept him a left back instead of Monreal. So I don't think Monreal offers us much as a left back anymore at all because of his lack of pace. Yeah. I meant in the sense that, for example, at the beginning of the season, I'd say the most notable one to explain this is probably Chelsea away, where we created a shed load of chances, and it was a case where. It won't be, for example, especially away from home, needs to be starting week in, week out because he's direct and the way he plays with that strength is exactly how is how we should play away from home. And looking at the Chelsea game as an example, that four three three or whatever you want to call it, was why we were able to create the amount of chances we did. And I think playing that five at the back, yes, you can say that we have an absolutely piss poor back line because obviously losing Holding and Bellerin and whatnot. But then again. Why would you not set out the same way and try and complement that as much as you can? Because we do have the players to do it. We've done it at home numerous times this season since, and since the injuries. Yeah. And I just think for an away game, we, we you were playing against a very physical team, and we allowed them to bully us on the pitch more than we should have done. And I think the formation didn't help that. Oh, well, to be fair, I also think the other sub was completely wrong because when Doozy got booked early on and. I think someone's honestly had a word with him and said, whatever you do, don't get sent off. We can't afford to be overrun in this game. But he went so far the other way. He he ran away from tackles. There was one time in particular, and I don't know how much of it they showed on TV. So 
you may know this, you may not. They broke down the riot and Guendouzi actively ran the other way to nobody because he didn't want to engage in a tackle that could potentially get him sent off. So we was essentially paying with 10 men anyway because he wasn't getting involved. And like, you can't, the way we got overrun in the first half, you can't basically then go down to 10 men, which we had essentially done because he just was not getting involved at all. So El Nenny had an absolute shitter. Well, El Nenny had an El Nenny. And Guendouzi is <laughs> 10 Ooh. times the player he is. But in that particular situation, Guendouzi shouldn't have been on the pitch anymore because he, was not, he, he wasn't going for the ball. He was, he was a passenger. He had as much effect on the second half as I did. And I was sitting in the stand eating a burger. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it literally just, it made, the two subs made, the people coming on made sense. And again, the way Arsenal do it now is, if someone's coming on at half time, as soon as the team goes in, they come out and warm up with a coach. So everyone knew basically a minute after the ref had blown the half time whistle that Ramsey and Aubameyang were coming on. And and yeah, that's what we was all calling for. So bringing them two players on is was the right decision for me. The two players he took off, I think he got them both wrong. Who would he have taken yeah, off to? Well, I think Guendouzi had to be one of them because, yeah. as I said, he just he, he wasn't playing. And the other one, to be honest, I've not really thought about it. Um, but if he was going to go to a back four, then maybe Nacho was the, op- the option. I know he's, I know Kolasinac isn't as good defensively, but you've now got Aubameyang on the pitch, so you've got someone that his crosses can get to. And let's be honest, I don't think goal difference is really going to play a huge part. One point is better than... I'd rather go for it and draw one all than, than, uh, and risk losing 2-0 than just settle for a 1-0 loss. A point is more important than the goal difference at this time. So for me, I probably would have done Nacho... And um, and who does I say Guendouzi? Mm-hmm. For, for Tony, based on that point, well, obviously with what you say, Guendouzi. Thinking about it, well, the other thing I noticed as well is, is also could you not argue that maybe Socrates getting booked on quite booked quite early on also was quite worried to get into that challenge to then get sent off? Because uh, I, I thought he was quite reluctant to go into a challenge himself as well. Uh, potentially, I mean, he had a lot of long balls with Calvert Lewin, but I mean, in that type of game, like. I would say Andre Gomez was, well, for me, Calvert-Lewin was the best player on the pitch, but Andre Gomez was up there, and it was because he, he didn't have a battle to face. Guendouzi let him walk all over him because he was so scared of getting getting sent off that he he just done nothing. And again, I mean, like, you can't, you can't if you take Socrates off, you can't, I don't know, you, you have you to play two on? Nacho and, no, I think I think he's saying instead of, so you play Nacho and Monreal as the two centre-backs, but with, and then Kolasinacca, sorry, Nacho and Mustafi as the two centre-backs and Kolasinac at left back. But the issue is the way Calvert-Lewin was fucking running all over us with with them to, with Socrates, who's, who's better in the air than, than Nacho, I think it would have been a real problem. But I just think Guendouzi just, as I said, he must have been told because he's not usually the type of player that pulls out of anything. I don't think it's particularly a dig at him, but he was an absolute passenger in the second half. I, I'll go as far, for me, he was the worst player on the pitch because he wasn't involved. Not, People will probably find some stats now where he didn't really give the ball away and he won a few interceptions and whatnot. But for me, the minimum I want is to you, for you to be involved in the game. That, for me, is an absolute minimum. And, and he just wasn't. The, um, the yeah. only one I thought, and I said to the boys, in the, talk, we're talking in the WhatsApp group about it, and I, I obviously, I said Aubameyang, Ramsey, possibly. But the, I got thinking... Um, Dennis Suarez, he's sitting there on the bench, isn't he? Nothing's going on there. I, I was almost maybe you throw you throw you know 
well, you're saying Gwendozi, but an El Nanny or Gwendozi for him because he can play in the midfields, can't he? Yeah, but I mean, look, for me, the two subs he made at half time, as I said, the right people came on. So the ones that went off, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for me, as I said, yeah. I, I'm not saying that I'm right. I am, but I'm not saying I'm right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's not a case of who came on. I have no problem with Ramsey and Aubameyang coming on. And let's be honest, if they didn't, we'd all be going nuts. Yeah. So, as I said, for me, it's not who came on. It's who went off that, that was wrong. Even the change, I thought the change in system was right as well. I just think he'd done it with the wrong players. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, look, the Awobi came on in the 74th minute. Ozil went off. I... F- I look, I'm, I've been, I've been pretty critical of Urzel over in the past, but I didn't think he did any wrong. I, if anything, I thought he, he would be the one that I would probably keep on. I, I don't know your thoughts, Tony. Well, Mickey thought he was going off as soon as Iwobi got stripped. Mickey sprinted over to that line and then saw Urzel go up and kind of. Do you know when you go to shake someone's hand and they ignore you and you pretend you're scratching your head? Mm. Mickey done the footballing version of that like he sprinted over and then saw Ozil and then he sort of like just started standing around like he and then like kind of walked to get a drink um, look I, I have no problem I probably would have kept Ozil one because he's the one that's most likely to make something happen if you're honest but did he deserve to stay on the pitch for me probably not um, well who was, is, better, like, who was better out of him and Mickey yesterday for me I had this conversation with Schwinn last night, actually. For me, Mickey tried stuff and it didn't work. And when that happens, you're the one that gets criticized because it looks like you're giving the ball away and whatnot. But I would rather someone, especially in the situation we was in yesterday, try and create and make something happen rather than just play the simple one or two yard ball. And I'm not saying that's what Ozil done, but I felt Mickey gave the ball away a lot because he was trying to split their defense apart. Whereas Ozil had a game more, he kept things ticking over, but nothing, nothing really spectacular. So, even though I probably would have kept those one, I don't think it was like a ridiculous decision, to be honest. Okay, Jack, Jack I'm just going to go to you on something else though, because um, otherwise we're going to be running out of time later. But on Urzel though, this is what I'll go to you, mate. He's copped a fair bit of criticism on Twitter and and through the Arsenal forums and whatnot, fan forums and whatnot. That you know. Urzel's gone missing again, and and look, I put my hand up. I'm one that'll, <laughs> and I just take the piss out of Schwinn to be honest. But I'm one that'll um, that'll say, ah, come on, he's had a bit of a shit game. Let's let's get it. I I said it a minute ago. I don't think he did anything wrong. And for me, as I agree with Tony, if if it was a player that was going to stay on, I, I would thought Urzel would have been the one to stay on because he's probably the one that may win you the game. Um, mate, what do you say to them fans? Like, what was your thoughts on it? And also, touch on there was a few articles come out today about it and videos and whatnot that he threw his coat at somebody, uh, Emery. But no, I look back at it, I don't know if it was that Emery. So, look, Meza Ozil is a player who I, I think people hate him because of his wages and out of jealousy more than they necessarily watch him on the pitch. I feel that a lot of people are very quick to chuck out his, the point about his wages and, and how he looks lazy on the pitch, when actually it's a, completely, it's a completely fucking invalid argument for two reasons. Firstly, did you expect Dennis Bergkamp, and I'm not saying Ozil Dennis Bergkamp are the same sort of players, but if you look at the sort of mould, you can kind of compare to the extent of like the, the, the argument, say, 
Did you ever expect Dennis Burkamp to go and play a centre defensive midfielder or a centre back? No. So people think Ozil's lazy because he doesn't necessarily track back and go and defend. He shouldn't need to. We should have the backbone behind him that he shouldn't need to and he should be allowed to play freely. Ozil can do everything right in a game. He can be understated, but unlike a player, this is this is the argument I use for Ozil quite a lot. Unlike an Alexis Sanchez who will go and dummy three players and go and score from 30 yards, Ozil will create it or offer the chances. And you get a much more in that sense from Meza Ozil than you do an Alexis Sanchez. Our fan, our, as a fan base, I think that there's a lot, and I, I'm sure we'll get on to later, but there's a... It, there's a there's a nature that that, that is fashionable to criticise and to moan and to, to to abuse, and I think Ozil is one of the players that does get the brunt of it. When it, what people seem to need to realise is that we, as a team, we are so much better and so much more um better on the ball when Meza Ozil is on the pitch, and it's just a situation where everyone wants to abuse a player because of his wages when actually they don't let what's on the pitch do the talking. Yes, he may be quiet and yes, he may go quiet, but that's not his fault. That's the fault of everyone else on the pitch, not allow, not getting into the right space for Ozil to do his thing. And and I'm not trying to say Ozil's the best player in the team and everything. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that people need to get over the fact he's on his wages because at the end of the day, you've got to look at it and think he's got a bloody good agent. Why are you blaming him? If you were working, playing for Arsenal Football Club and you knew you could get 400 grand a week rather than 150, there is not one moron in the world that's going to say I'd rather have 150 grand in a week because if they said that, they'd be fucking lying. So Ozil had an opportunity to earn that money. He took it as any single other person would do. And I just feel that because of his wages and because people can moan at him on Twitter because they, they look at a stat going, oh, he has to create something because that's what he does. It's not his fault he hasn't created a chance. It's because the players around him haven't got themselves in a good enough position for him to create that ball. His vision, just doesn't, his vision doesn't suddenly like, uh, swap or change depending on when he feels like it. His vision there. If he sees a run, he's going to make the ball. And in terms of in terms of the um, in terms of the, the coat, what it looked like is is uh, Silver had a spat with Emery on the touchline, and it looks like Ozil went to throw his coat at Silver, but Emery walked into position of the coat, and it looked like it went for Emery. When the truth is, it was launched at Silver. I've, I've looked at it quite a few times, and that, that is how it comes across. Okay, um, Tony, you want to add anything on that, Mike? Well, I was just going to say about the coat. I've only seen. Look, I agree with what Jack's saying about the wages. You can't define the player by his wages, and if we're going to do that, then people are going to have to start hammering Ramsey because he might not be on that money yet. But from next season, he's a four hundred thousand pounds a week player. So, if you can only expect on people based on their wages, then we should be expecting the world from Ramsey. Or do you only start expecting that when he gets that money? So now you only expect one hundred twenty grand worth of player out of him. And then next season, he's going to be a 400 grand a week player. It's not how things work. You, your level isn't based on your salary. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. So I kind of I agree with Jack on that one. In terms of the coat, uh, I, it was the other side of the pitch. I didn't see it live. I saw on Twitter last night, Sky Sports tweeted a little video of it. It was only like 20 seconds long. And, I mean, even their tag on it or their tweet was uh, uh, like angry Ozil or furious Ozil throws coat at Everton bench in a spat and that, that was all I saw I didn't even I didn't even register that it went anywhere near Emery uh, so I, I literally am reading nothing into that at all no, no worries um, look uh, Jack pointed a very good point out there and, and, and you know it's not Ozil it's obviously the players that are surrounded by Ozil and I'll tell you though and as I said I, I take the piss out of Schwinn because he's like a wind up toy I just love warning the cunt up um, but, <laughs> but, but you know yesterday he's on the field with 
Gwendoosie, El Nanny, Mikatarian, and you've got Lacazette up front. Now, I don't want to be criticising Lacazette too much here because we know all our lovely listeners love Lacazette. But, Tony, I have to agree with what Jack said. Them players, for me, just weren't up the an Ozil standard to find them assists and... You know, Lacazette was dropping back deep and he was he just he wasn't up in front in the position at times and how how are you meant to assist that? Yeah, I mean look, Ozil didn't really do much. Like you don't look at you I can't think of anything he'd done, to be honest. You're look, you're right that he didn't have to play as ahead of him and Lacazette again, it's the reason I say Lacazette can never play as a nine on his own. It's. I've said it for nearly two years now. Um, my opinion is never going to change on that. I'm surprised more people don't see it, or maybe they don't want to see it. But it does make it hard for for someone like Ozil and Mickey. I'm not taking this away because if Ozil gets the ball, chances are he may have Lacazette ahead of him. He may not, and that's it. The same with Mickey. He gets the ball. Ozil will be alongside or behind him, and. Lacazette may be ahead of him, he may not. You then got to wait for Kalasanach to get forward, which could be a while. Ainsley isn't really the type of wing back that gets bombing on forward. So it's going to be very difficult for them to play forward balls when the other team's got at least a back two and one holding midfielder, at least M3, and then maybe two fullbacks as well, and maybe one other holding midfielder. So mm-hmm. potentially they've got between three and six people behind the ball, and we've got at most one in front of it. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to find good passes in that situation. No, I, this no, isn't me defending Ozil. Yeah. He didn't have a good game, but in that situation, I don't understand what a prime Burkamp would have done or a Zidane or. And again, I, I'm in the same boat as Jack. I'm not comparing him to them players, but I think you could put any of that type of passing player in them situations, and they would have massively struggled. Yeah, no, and that's where that's one thing I really did notice last night watching the game. I thought, well. Uh, Who's he, how, how is he meant to get the best out of him when there's nobody forward to pass to? Um, look, let's touch quickly because we've got a heap of questions to get on. Uh, Mustafi, Monreal, Tony, a couple of yellow cards there. I don't know what Mustafi's yeah. up to. I mean, like, to be fair, I said earlier I don't think any Arsenal player bar and maybe Leno got above a 6.5. The ref was on par with our ratings. We were shit, so I'm not blaming the ref for our loss. But the ref was also shit. So if you're going to say Arsenal as a team averaged a 5 out of 10, Kevin Friend was in that same sort of ballpark. He was fucking abysmal. And I'm not blaming that for our loss because we were fucking abysmal. But, I mean, there's no point even commenting on individual yellow cards because it seemed that if he was wearing a red shirt and done something, it was a yellow. Or if your name was Andre Gomez, you could do whatever you wanted and it took fucking... He had to basically rape someone to get booked. Um there was a massive inconsistency in, in the ref as well, in the sense yeah. that what we could do, they there was a. I'd say out on the game from from from. Bear in mind, I wasn't watching on TV. I was I was obviously there at the Goodison Park. Though I'd say there were six occasions in the game where Everton players made fouls on par, if not the worst, but like very very similar to to where we got players booked. And they just get away with it. In fact, there was even a time I think they even probably should have got a player sent off, and, and he didn't even get a booking. But I, there's I also there's also like so you know in the North London derby when Harry Kane got fouled for the penalty but he was offside but they said oh the foul came first 
Mm. So it should have been a penalty. Okay, so Zuma went through the back of Lacazette in the first half. The ref actually got his card out to book him. All the flag was up and said, oh, no, it's not a booking. He, he, he was offside. So there's two things there. If the flag's up, you're allowed to go and headbutt someone because apparently the offside comes first. Or the offside rule, that rule only counts if your name's Harry Kane because it was the exact same situation. Lacazette was offside. There's no doubt about it. But does that mean you're allowed to go and two-foot someone? Because that's he didn't two-foot him, but it was a bookable offence and the ref showed that by having the yellow card out. Like, again, it's just everything was wrong. Like, there was so much wrong with the ref, with our performance. It, it was just a bad day, just to be honest. Just a bad day at the office. Um, look, you've said it a couple of times, 6.5 for Leno, so I take it. Leno's your man of the match? <sighs> Comfortably, but... Look, he done absolutely nothing wrong, but it's not like a... There's been man of the matches for him, and, and for Czech, to be fair, earlier in the season where they've won that man of the match. They've fully deserved it. I think yesterday got it by default because everyone else was so shit. Mm-hmm. Jack, your man of the match? And um, yeah, 100% percent has got to be Leno. Yeah. I think if it wasn't for, for Leno and his shot stopping, we'd have conceded easily another three goals. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, lads, Leno. Um, yeah. He was bloody, he was a worry there at one stage. Um, I can't remember what... But a kick him very early on. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I think Nacho played a horrible back pass to him, then he took a horrible touch, and it just, one one thing led to another. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get into some questions, and you can ask us questions on our Twitter at clockn underscore talk. Can I chuck in a question before we start? Yeah, mate. How many, how many points do we need to get top four? I know my answer. Oh, let's say 60. No, I mean, from now. So we've got, there's 18 points to play for. There's six games left, so there's 18 points to play for. Oregon, How many? Oregon 12. Jack? I'm tempted to say the same as Schwinn there. I mean, not Schwinn, sorry, sorry, Tez. Sorry, I was reading the thing before. Jeez, um, I've, been, I've, been some, I've been caught some rough things in my fucking life, but Jesus Christ, mate. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I was, I, was, I was checking the table and I was checking a thing he's me from, from um, last week. Basically, the way I look at this, and this, this is what I said to a few mates um, before Spurs play Liverpool, which is that we can afford to drop six to nine points and still come in the top four, if not a third, because Spurs will lose City in Liverpool. And, for example, all the other big teams play one, if not two, including playing each other. I think I think 12 points is slightly light just because of how the pack is now. I'd say 14 points would secure us top four out of the 18 we've got left. Um, and I also think that would secure third as well because I think uh, on a realistic level, there's no way Spurs are going unbeaten by the City game. They will lose and they will, they will lose, if not draw, minimum one, which means they'll lose um, five points. Um, overall for the 18 which means they've got 13 more to play so on that retrospect um, I'd say probably I agree with your 12 but probably 14 points for, to be safe mm-hmm. Tony? Uh, I said 12 in the chat with you yesterday I don't know it was after oh, your bedtime in Australia so you might not have seen it but no, yeah I, I think <laughs> look, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking I'm not confident we'll make top 4 but then I, my number is 12 
And I think, well, you get the two home wins and then you've got to just try and maybe we should beat Burnley on the last day. So then you need three points from Wolves and Watford and Leicester. And you think that should be doable. But it's, it's on them. I feel like we won't. But then when I break it down like that, I think, well, that sounds pretty... I'd be annoyed if we didn't get that. You know, you know, just to add to that, I think that the way that... The, I'm not trying to say we're going to go win Watford away and I'm not saying we're going to beat Wolves away because you never know what's going to happen. You never know how we can turn on the day and our injuries and whatnot. But the result, funny enough, at Wembley, which obviously Wolves versus Watford, I actually think has massively helped us because I think Watford as a team will now be on party mode and be more prepared on the idea of preparing for a City Cup final, thinking could be cause an upset and go win an FA Cup there. Um, and whether I don't think they'll be as fully committed for the game against us. But saying that, it, it'll be very interesting how Wolves battle, bounce back from that because obviously being 2 0 up and losing it in the last minute to that penalty to then the second, the extra time. Uh, it can either go two ways. They can either go and push for that seventh place or they can drop their heads. I think we've had a bloody good season. It is first in the Premier League. And there's nothing really more to play for because they're not going to get European football, obviously. So could they go put on the brakes now? Yes, they could, if you think about it. And I think. I do think that that would have helped us a little bit in terms of the whole psychological sort of battle. But obviously, only time will tell. I'd imagine Granite's back for Watford. He'll probably play Europa League, get a bit of fitness back. Maybe Tony, um, Napoli coming up. I'd also imagine... When's Torreira back? He'll be back for Wolves, won't he? Torreira's back. back. No, Torreira's back now. Oh, he's back now, is he? Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Um, since we're talking, you know, predictions and whatnot, uh, Napoli, Tony, your thoughts on them two games? Um, look, I'd be lying if I said I watched a load of Italian football. I know they're a good side. I saw they dropped points this weekend, and I know people have been saying they haven't been playing too well, but then other people have been saying they're saving it all for the Europa League they've got nothing else to play for. So I, I don't really know. I'm not, as I said, I know they're good. I don't know what sort of form they're in. Uh, I I think without Xhaka, we won't go through. Without Xhaka on Thursday. Because I think if we don't win the home leg, then we, we're not going to go through. And obviously the home leg is on Thursday. And I, I can't see... I just think we transition so slow. And uh, who's going to play in them two centres? I mean, Torreira and, and, say, Guendouzi, who I'd imagine it will be. I'm not sure if they can get the ball forward quickly enough. We have to play front foot football. We have to play both Lacazette and Aubameyang. Um, if we get a result if we need a, we need a result we need to win on Thursday and then if we get a goal in Napoli then I think we'll go through but look, if if I had to put money on who goes through the tie right now it would be Napoli if I'm honest well yeah look and as you, you know I watch Italian football and I, I watch a fair bit of obviously Roma um, but yeah look there's not what the fuck is that noise <laughs> Sounds like someone's at the fucking casino rolling yeah, the dice. <laughs> I wish I was at a casino. <laughs> um, Earning some money. <laughs> so, uh, Napoli, so this is probably the best of times that I'd rather play them during this season because they have dropped points the last two games against some, some lower teams in the Serie A. So, i not going to say I'm overly confident, but I am more confident than what I would have been earlier in the season. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think we might get a sneaky win up on them on Napoli. Um, we're at home first, aren't we? 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This yeah. this game on Thursday is huge because I think that uh, if we don't get a win on Thursday, for me, we're finished, even with a draw. Mm. Apart from possibly a nil-nil. If we're going to draw, I'd want a nil-nil because then if we get one goal there, they've got to score two. Yeah, yeah. Your any, any other draw but a nil-nil and I think we're done. Mm. I'm just saying if they got any, who they got here injured. What are your thoughts, Jack? Who it was? Was it um, Mertens? I think's been out, and they weren't sure if he was going to play this week. I think it was Mertens. Or no, he played last what's week. What's the Italian guy? Insigne. Was it Insigne? One of the two. It's, One of their big yeah. attacking players now, and He's they were saying he might play this weekend to be ready for Thursday. Yeah, Mertens played last week, and yeah, Insigne. It is to. He's. I think he's coming back though. Mm. Um, Jack, your thoughts, Napoli? A bit worried or what? Look, it's one thing with our defence coping against Callahan, Mertens and Insigne. But then on the chance that we get a counter, then got Koulibaly at centre-back. So I just feel like we're going to, especially with our lack of physicality, if we don't have Xhaka, we might as well not even play. I genuinely think if we don't have Xhaka in that team for that strength in the middle and Torreira for that retrospect, then there's no, if they don't play a good game, there's no point even having the victory. I think they're going to be so instrumental to us if we even have a chance to get through. I think that this look. Everyone says that with away form, it's hard travelling away at the moment. And in, in in the honest, the truth is, if you look at the Premier League, for example, everyone's got a nice pitch these days. Everyone's got nice facilities. That argument is very old, outdated. However, if you look at Napoli Stadium. Oh my fucking god, we're screwed because there are not nice facilities. The stadium is fucking old and falling down. It's not even safe to have fans in the lower and the upper tier of the stadium. The facilities are shit. If there's one time where you can actually genuinely say with, with truth that it's going to be difficult travelling away from home because the facilities like it would have been the olden days, God blind me, Napoli is the exact situation where that is the case because it is a horrible, horrible, horrible place to go. And I do think with our current away form, the best, I, honestly, and I, I'm a very optimistic fan, the best we can hope for is to, is to win the game by one or two goals at home and just absolutely shithouse a draw away from home. Mm. That's my expectation. It looks like Insigne. It looks like he's going to be still out, and he won't be back. I know they said they were rushing to get back for yesterday, so or Saturday whenever they played, so that he could get some minutes in before the game. But I, I know they drew, but I didn't check who played. Yeah, they yeah. drew. They played, they played ten men for seventy minutes and drew. Yeah, he didn't play. He didn't play. Yeah. I watched that game. We, we we do that for a half against Ren and lose three one. Yeah, no, they they played against ten men. So the other team, it was nil nil, and the other team got someone sent off in the twenty eighth minute, and uh, they went one nil up, and the other team equalised. Obviously, I don't know how late. I can't remember how late it was. Yeah, against Rep, we were down to ten men, not against ten men. Um. Okay, let's get into some questions then, and let's just see what happens when it comes to injuries and whatnot. But uh, Duck Farm. <laughs> Fuck, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Duck Farm, classic. Duck Farm, not trying to disrespect You need a new Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, Tony, uh, is it time to get away from El Nani? Uh, sorry, is it time to get away from Emery's only tactical plan? Push the fullbacks, wingbacks up. Could have started with the two strikers and Urzel behind. If you wanted to play two HCMS, 
uh, or Mickey besides Gwendozi or Nanny, Mickey and Urzel were too far apart today. Urzel needs quality players. I mean, it kind of comes to what my my argument about the subs. I don't know how he tried to attack in the second half. We had that one chance where, to be honest, Ramsey should have scored. We glossed over that earlier. I, I think that's bordering on an unacceptable miss for someone of Ramsey's standard. And that was in like the 47th, 48th minute. And if you scored there, it, it changes everything. But apart from that, we didn't create anything at all. And I, I don't know what... I couldn't see how we was trying to play. Whereas at least with the wingbacks bombing on, I'm not saying it's the the most the best thing in the world, but at least I know what we're trying to do. And you can see some sort of path of how they're trying to score a goal, whereas I, I just couldn't see anything. So I get that part of the question. And the second part, obviously, talks about potentially playing Mickey deeper alongside one of the centre midfielders. And we spoke about that earlier. If he'd done that and we got overrun the way we did, everyone would be crying about it. So with hindsight, we could say it might be a good idea. But if he'd have done that at kickoff, I think we'd have all lost our shit. Have you muted yourself, Tez? Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, we've, we've, we've said it all season that, you know, we, we haven't overly sure what Emery's tactics are and, and what Emery's game plan is. We're coming to the pointy end. Do you, do you know yet? No, no idea. I've, I, know, I've, I think I've been one of the most vocal on this, that even when we're playing well, I'll give him credit because he's had some good results and I've been saying for ages that we're far ahead of where... I expected us to be in terms of league table position points and whatnot. And that's obviously a good indicator, but I still think it's going to be very difficult to improve if you don't know how you play. I mean, the examples, the two examples I use is city and Liverpool. And I know we're not on their level and we don't have their level of money, but they came in Klopp and and Guardiola and didn't have the best first year, either of them, but you could see what they were trying to do. And it was quite easy for them to improve because they knew who couldn't work within their style. And then they replaced them for someone who could, I mean, City came in. I mean, Pep came in, and the second season, I know he spent a lot on them, but all he had, he didn't change. He changed the fullbacks, and that was it, because the fullbacks wasn't working in his system. And he knew that because he made them play that system in the first year. Sorry, he changed it. He brought Edison as well. Um, with us, as I said, I can't see how we're going to improve because I don't know how we play. You know what's you know what's thrown me the most though. Sorry, Jack. And I'll, I'll yeah. go to you in a sec. But you know what's throwing me the most, Tony, is the fact that since January, we went out hard to get Dennis Suarez in. And, OK, we got him on loan with the so-called buyout clause. We haven't fucking used him. So, I don't, was it a panic buy? Was it the, to ease the fans? What, what was that all about? I, I would love to know. I, I've said time and time again, I would rather us kept Smith-Rowe. And... Again, this is not a reactionary because I don't think Suarez has done anything wrong. He's, he's no, just no, not, not 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 hell on him. I just don't know where the plan of that whole thing was. was. Yeah, yeah. As a, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to say it definitely wasn't a panic buy because when you chase someone for that long, you don't panic for that long. When you panic, you go, oh shit, and grab the first thing you can get. So I think panic is panic buys is the most overused term in football because every time a player doesn't play too well, they go, oh, it was a panic buy. If you're chasing someone for six weeks, even Mustafi, you've got, oh, it was a panic buy. We were chasing him for fucking ages. Like, there's a lot of terms you can use. You could say it was a shit signing. You could say we didn't need him. But panic buy is just not one of them. To, to, to be fair with Mustafi, wasn't it? Murtasaka got, like, did it, was out for the season. Um, 
in pre-season and we had the first game of the season didn't go to plan and then we, we, we suddenly went on the hunt for him and I think it was him and Lucas Perez I mean, we signed them at the same time, but we were chasing them for chasing them for ages. I mean, they're both stats DNA players, and stats DNA didn't like turn up overnight and go. Oh, actually, by the way, this is a good player. No, but what, what I was going to say to Tony, I've got a question for you then, based on what you said about Liverpool and City and whatnot. And I was having this debate with a friend the other day. Do you think we are? How far off do you think we are from Liverpool pre Van Dijk? Um. Again. This is this, this is where my argument kind of falls on itself because in terms of points and whatnot, as I just said, we're way ahead of where we thought we'd be. In terms of identity, we're way we're so far away from Liverpool. Work. Again, they haven't changed how they attack. I don't know our attacking style, and they've not changed. So I don't, I don't think we're going to know how we are with Emery till next season. The reason I'm saying that is I think that. Oh, the way we, the way Emery wanted to play, I think, was very evident at the beginning. It was like, oh, play it from the back, holdings the centre back that brings the forward ball to Xhaka. Xhaka then sprays it to one of the creative players who then push either out wide or to Aubameyang, Lacazette, or whatever. I think losing Bellerin and Holding, who were probably two of our most important players for the for the mould that we played, I think it forced Emery to adapt. I don't think he wants to play the five at the back. I think I don't think he trusts our. You back say that, but the last the last month of Holding, we played five at the back. There was no injury. Know, when he first started playing five at the back, that was a choice. I know, and but I'm saying... Even I, when we had no centre-backs, he moved Xhaka in there to keep it five at the back. So I personally don't think that's something he doesn't want to do. He he had so many chances to not do that, and we had everyone fit. Every single player was fit the back end of November until Holding got injured, and he I, chose I, to go five at the back. I, I just think that... I also think one thing that we've lacked for Emery style of play is a winger. I think we're he keep and we keep trying to play players at wide who aren't actual wingers and it's cost us dearly. So if I have to be honest, I don't think we'll know what our Emery's style of play is probably till about I'd say six games into next season, a time where we've had three games to sort the team from preseason, depending on how early we sign players, and then obviously the three, the, obviously the point of which that the transfer window ends, the three games after the international break. I don't think we'll see it until then because yes. Um, and also, just like I say, Emery 100% has a very large extent his squad considering the amount of players we've got that are playing week in, week out. And I don't discredit that for a second. When people argue that, it does frustrate me a bit. But I don't... I, I also think that positions which are so suited for Emery's style of play, we don't have anybody that's capable of playing in those roles this season. And I think that only time will tell. And I think but then do you not, do you not prepare, prepare the team in your style, what, what Guardiola and Klopp done? They didn't care. Like Klopp couldn't care less if he had players that couldn't press. He told them to press. So the ones that could, the eight that could, were fully used to it. Then in that summary, bring in three other players that could. And now he had a whole 11 singing off the same hymn sheet. What we're going to do is he's going to bring in players that suit his style, but the ones that are already there ain't going to have a clue. So we're still going to need the next year to get used to it. I'm not even saying that I'm talking about, I'm not even mentioned talking about the pressing style as anything in particular. I no, mean, no, I'm just saying that was top system. Yeah. I can go with Guardiola's. He had Clichy and, and Sanya playing centre midfield. They couldn't do it, but he didn't give a fuck. He told them to carry on doing it because then the next summer, all he needed to do was get wing fullbacks that could come into the middle of the pitch and everyone else was already used to it. I was I pressing the different styles of That was just a Klopp example. I, like, think, I, don't, I, I think they're different styles of managers. I think that Guardiola was Pep Guardiola. No one's going to really give him any shit. No, but I'm not saying play their style, but I'm saying he has to get the players into his style. I've said Guardiola and Klopp because they're the two examples I'm using. I could name any manager in the world who got players into their system. 
what I'm trying to say is if you look at Emery, for example, and I understand you can say the whole Ozil situation as an example, but I don't necessarily agree it is how it how it looks. I think that I think the way Emery got treated at PSG, I think he was very, very cautious to make a bullshy move that a Klopp or a Guardiola would. And I think he was a lot more cautious going in in terms of yes, he put this whole persona that he's this video analytics genius and and that he's he's really hard in training and all the players have said that. And yes, he may be unbelievably hard with the players in the way he, he goes about his training. But I don't think he actually has the mental capability of a Klopp or Guardiola because of how he was treated at a PSG where he was very much under the thumb of Neymar, for example, and he was very suppressed by the player. And I feel that that made him similar to how Guendouzi, how you said Guendouzi would have been after getting the booking. I think he was, I think Emery's been a lot more cautious than he actually needed to be this season. In, I think he's been very conservative in, in a lot of ways and obviously not in some, but I think that that's why we haven't seen the full Unite Emery yet. And I think it's because he's worried to show it. Well, I think that puts us even further behind and bear in mind, he's only got another year left on his contract. No, I understand what you mean. Okay. Uh, to be honest, I think, as I said, we're, we're ahead of where I thought we'd be, but I think he's done it in the wrong way. So on one hand, I've got to say it's very good. On the other hand, I'm very sceptical. Right, uh, let's push through, boys. Um, so David says, uh, Jack, does this match show the real impact that Tuera or Xhaka has had to our game? Yes, That's 100%. Um, Torreira, a lot of people. Do you know what? I've actually seen this a lot on Twitter um, by some fools who want to berate Xhaka. And I'll get onto that in a second. But Torreira was very, very good in the first half of the season. I felt like his confidence got taken a big knock, um, Liverpool, but then also not being used to the English style of play, not being used to having a winter break has cost Torreira quite a lot. So I don't think it's fair to say that he's been a thing consistent. I just think he's adapting, and that's obviously respect or understandable. But I'm so sick and tired of people slagging off Xhaka this season. And I understand people have a love for Lacazette. And I love Lacazette. Crazy but about it. I'm not saying I don't. But not in a million years is he my player of the season. Player of the season, without a doubt, I have to go to Granit Xhaka this season. Xhaka is instrumental for every single part of our play. Defensively, he's a physical body. He can bully players off the ball in the middle of the park. Yes, he may put in a rash challenge, but he still does a job better than anyone else at the club. Going forward, he's instrumental. His, 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 he moves the ball faster than any other centre midfield player we've got in the team. He has a great range of passing. And as a whole, he, he's so important for the start for that whole playing out from the back style that when I see fools on Twitter, and I'm not trying to call anyone out in particular, but, and I, but for example, someone like Lee Gunner, who says that, that anyone who could break Xhaka doesn't know anything about football and, and doesn't know anything about football because they don't go to Arsenal games like he does. Not trying to throw any shade there at all. But Xhaka is our most important player. And people who want to slag Xhaka off based on an agenda they've got from him for how he's played past seasons clearly don't have a don't have an opinion on football, but to be fashionable and to run about anyone they can to try and get to try and get views or whatnot. Because at the end of the day, it's you have to rate a player on how they performed. And I somewhat even in Wobin, for example, with Xhaka these players who, who have improved so much under Emery are getting so much hate because of how they performed in the Wenger days or because of maybe a more, a more, more inconsistency in their play in the days of Arsene Wenger, it completely overshadows all the hard work and all the great work they've done this season. And 100% Xhaka was missed. And if we don't have Xhaka fit for our run-in, we don't have a chance of getting top four. Okay. Um, right. I have no idea who you were talking about then, but anyway... 
<laughs> I'll let you do it. The point was the point. The, 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 no, the, the point was is that Iwobi is another example. But fans just ridicule him. He can hit the post and he'll still get abuse. The same with Jacker. And they're probably the two most improved players under Emery this season. But people don't want to look at that because they look at them both so negatively because of how they were last season and whatnot. That that was what I was trying to yep, yep, get across. Okay. No worries. Uh, Dave says. Um, why does why do Abemyang Lacazette rarely contribute from the bench, especially when we need a goal? Discuss, Tony. I think someone else replied to this, and again, I've not looked at the stats or anything, but I feel like Abemyang scored scored quite a few off the bench this season. I mean, just even without even like thinking properly, he got two away at Fulham and two at Leicester off the bench. Um, Lacazette got a goal against Tottenham off the bench at home. Um, I mean, he didn't. Lacazette for me got a goal at Old Trafford off the bench so, and then I went down there's no goal but anyone with eyes knows he scored it so I don't feel like that's the case again someone might have looked at the stats and I might be wrong but just off the top of my head I don't really feel like that is true yeah MAA Gunner said a fair share of Abemian goals have came off the bench though uh, but Dave's talking about but when we really needed them yeah I mean that's Look, we, we was one or we was two. What was we when Lacazette scored against Tottenham two two? We was one one or at United when Lacazette came and scored off the bench. I think we was one one or two one at Fulham when Aubameyang scored off the bench. Again, it's just I, I get it because the question's been asked after a game where they've come on and not done anything. Yeah, but I don't really feel like it's the case. Yep, yep. Okay. Um, I mean, again, even Newcastle, we're one all, one nil. Sorry, the game was a bit cagey on Monday. I know we didn't do a podcast because you was off doing another podcast, but <laughs> we're one nil up, a bit, a bit cagey. Aubameyang comes on and gets an assist for Lacazette. That might on the score sheet, no one cares because it's Lacazette started the game, but that's still an impact in the game off the bench. <laughs> so what happens when the champion goes to another podcast? <laughs> the boys get salty. <laughs> Oh, fucking classy <laughs> I fucking copped it from you and Schwinn all week over that To you cunts <laughs> Oh, it's your estate uh, so, I'm going to come on here and just keep hissing Because that's apparently your language It was, um No, no, it was just time schedule, mate Come on If, if anyone speaks parcel tongue, they'll be able to understand Tez better So <laughs> 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 what I'm going to put up with, Jack Fucking hell um, <laughs> Gator Guna uh, Apart from playing a shit game And Mustafi actually looking half decent Why were we so exposed? Exposed um, Are we missing Torreira? Jacker, he said again uh, Maitland-Niles was horrible And Monreal was getting spun around Like a top Tackle into that one, Jack Malin Niles is quite an interesting sort of debate to have because he's not a right back. And, but at the same time, it's very much in Malin Niles' hands if he wants to become a, a regular in the Arsenal squad or if his future lies elsewhere. Because if he wants to be a, mid, a central midfield player as, as he, he's meant to be, he's not going to be starting week in, week out for the club. And that's because we've got a lot ahead of him who are a lot not that they're better but he won't necessarily have that chance to get a run in games necessarily but if he chooses to be a squad utility player who can fill in in loads of different roles on the pitch similar to similar to how like James Milner does for example at Liverpool 
then 100% he's got a chance at an Arsenal future. But based on the fact that he's not a right-back, he doesn't deserve to get the abuse he does for not having a great game at right-back. You can't expect him to be world-class in that position week in, week out, as someone like Bellerin would, because Bellerin has been groomed to be a right-back. Maitland-Niles has not. And I do think fans do overlook that a lot when the truth of the matter is that he's playing out of position and that when he puts in a great game, it's fantastic, but you have to expect that he's not going to be that consistent because he hasn't been brought up to play that way. Just just quickly on that, because I hear, hear exactly what you say, I'm just going to throw the, the other side of the coin for a minute. Now, uh, Wenger put him in it right back, uh, what, two years ago? Last season, definitely. But did he come halfway through the season before? No, last season, and he made it was in December. He started playing in the first team, but it was more a left back at the time. I remember in December he started at West Ham away, and everyone was surprised. And then he played against Liverpool there when we drew three three, and everyone said Salah was going to tear him a new one. And he actually had a quite good game on the left. And then That's I think right. he only started playing at right back when yeah. he got injured towards the end of the season. But it's very rare. Last season he played more games at left back than he did at right back. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, what I was going to say, just to play devil's advocate, so a professional player. Probably been a few games since he's played in, in midfields. I can't remember when he did, to be honest. Um, might have been a Europa League game or something. But um, a, a young professional upcoming player, do you think he, he'd he be training week in, week out as a, as a right back, left back? Would he be training as a midfielder? Would he be playing? It, the last, a, how how the does last, one do that? Since, since January, he would have been training completely as a fullback or a wingback dependent or both um more probably more a wingback to be honest pre-january i don't know i don't know what they'd have been doing because he was third choice remember he was behind lipstein at the time so he was third choice right back you also got to remember he had a broken leg for the first eight weeks of the season so he wasn't training at all um but i mean yes since since january 100 percent, he's been seen as a fullback and that is it um uh, obviously, before that is anyone's guess, but he probably only had six to six or so weeks training before that because of the uh, the broken leg. Because at the start of the season, he obviously broke his leg first game, and then probably came back to training in around late October, November. So, is what happened in November and December? In what position did he train? Obviously, none of us are going to know. Yeah, and look, just just to play devil's advocate to you, Jack, because you. You did mention a couple, you know, the, the Twitter fans and whatnot are talking about that, oh, but he's playing in position week in, week out. How long, I wonder, does it take for a young up-and-coming professional footballer to adjust to that position? Like, it's not like you just put a pair of boots on for the first time. You know what I mean? And look, I mean, look, obviously it is adjustable, and obviously the, the, argue, the flip side of the argument, which is completely valid, is that he should be so once he should want to play for Arsenal Football Club so badly that he'll adapt to anything they, that comes their way, and obviously that he will do his best. But it's not going to be the same that if you've come up the youth system playing as a right back or as a, as a wing back. So, for example, Bellerin, yes, he wouldn't necessarily have been a winger at the beginning, but he still had years and years and years in the academies as a right back, and Maitland-Niles wouldn't have had that experience. So, whereas right backs should have the experience going up the youth system in their position Maitland-Niles wouldn't have that so that is why that people don't, do need to cut slack because it's one thing adapting for the old game week in week out but you're not really going to improve unless you're playing consistently for quite a, a, a long period of time in that, in that role mm, okay um, Vish says Tony speaking in hindsight uh, would we have done better with Jank <laughs> Jack said this earlier with Jank out right back 
Maitland-Niles in the midfield and centre of Elneny. There were numerous occasions where we broke forward, only the attack fizzled out thanks to Elneny not releasing the ball quick enough. Again, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. How many? I didn't hear a single person say that before the game. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's very. I think it's almost unfair to to say after the game we should have done A, B, and C. Mm. In fairness to Jenko, he hasn't put a foot wrong at all this season. Every time he's come in, he's been put in a shift. Honestly, I don't. I, honestly, as as a second choice, I actually think he's a, he's a good option. And I, I, if we could drop his wages to something lower and he'd accept it he'd be worth keeping on and I know that's quite a controversial opinion but I, I do think that he shows a lot of promise in terms of that he, he doesn't need a run of games to come in and put a shift he'll put a shift in regardless because he loves the club that much and that's something which I don't think many other players would have a lot of players would need a run of games to, to play well and I don't think Jenko needs that um, Texas Gooner says shocking performance but how how shocked are we truly? We can moan about selections all we want. Uh, don't don't think it would have been would have mattered. El Nani and Ramsey, and obviously uh, psychological psychological issue and mental block when we play away. We're never at the races, and it would have been three or four nil. So not really a question. Just saying. Uh, Gator Guna. Who was Ozil throwing his jacket at? You boys reckon that wasn't at Emery, didn't you? On that one, uh, Cosman Buta. How do I make the pain go away? <laughs> Bundaberg run, mate. I'll send you over a bottle. Um, MAA Gunner. Yes, Ozil was poor, but did you think everyone's level dropped when he was taken off? That's an interesting one. The small momentum yes. we had completely went and we were hanging on. You say yes, Jack, Tony? No, because I thought Awobi was the best player on the pitch for the 10 or so minutes, however long it was that he was on the pitch. Actually, I had to look twice. I thought, fuck, is that Awobi? I was like, shit. He, and I've criticised him here a few times, but I thought he, for the 20 minutes he was there, he, he, he looked really good. Well, well, I mean, he first thing he beat a couple Sorry. of players and stood Lacazette in, and Lacazette tried to square it to Bamiang, who was open, but he didn't make the best of contact, and it got cut out. And if he if he makes proper contact with that Lacazette, I mean, to be honest, I thought he was going to shoot. It's an angle we've seen him hit the ball from so many times. Um, but if he'd have made proper contact and, and got it across goal, everyone would be saying how Iwobi came on and changed the game, and he done his job. Uh, like in playing that pass, he has no control over what Lacazette does with it or what happens after Lacazette touches it. So I think the only difference in in us saying between not mentioning Iwobi at all and saying Iwobi changed the game is is what happened after he done his job, and I think that sometimes again bringing it back to Ozil, I think that sometimes we get very confused with, and I know you had your stupid moment midweek about chances created and, and not getting enough assists and whatnot, but once he's done his job, he has no there's no control over what someone else does or doesn't do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> More stupid moment. <laughs> About Iwobi, would you also say that his actual final ball is starting to really improve? For me, it's very hit and miss. It's either on or spectacularly off. Yeah, I was just about to say the same. He's, but I, I seem to moan more that it's off than it's on, so... Yeah, it's tough. But Iwobi... Iwobi was phenomenal when he came on yesterday, but oh, he was really? still getting abuse constantly. He was still getting... I mean, I, I don't know, Tony, what, what, what you had around you, 
But where I was in the away end, people were still abusing him left, right, and centre for absolutely anything. Not, not really around me. And I know what you mean. That usually does happen. In all, so I, I, I believe you. Uh, but not really around me yesterday. Um, well, hack on Larson. He says, I think Awobi played very well uh, when he came on. Played about 10 minutes, created more than we did in the entire game. Not a dig at Ozil. I think he tried hard, but our lack of quality in the midfield forced him too deep too often. Um, Spot Yeah. Pierre Abemian Golden Boot. Who should change his name to Lacazette Golden Boot Because he loves Lacazette <laughs> But anyway uh, Is it really a no-brainer Why we're, sh- we're shit away from home uh, We're just not the tactical Technical level yet Our players are weak mentality Still and still and the air of Wanga Without disrespect Is still lingering It's a fucking long, long you know- bow I do agree with that to an extent. I mean, I, I've got—I mean, I, I've got no criticism of us of us and Langer. I, I respect the man significantly. But away from home, are we any different this season than we were last season? Well, don't have a start. Look, for me, I think I, I'm getting really bored of this. When we win, it's Emery's great, and when we lose, it's absolutely everyone else's fault. It's got to be the same for both. Like, I, this isn't a dig at Emery at all. But Everyone will take it as they get Emery, so be careful because otherwise you don't, don't get Emery. Any... Things to be honest, they listen <laughs> enough to know. If you can't be when it does something well, oh, look at him, he's amazing, and when it goes wrong, it's ah, oh, it's not his fault. He's only been there nine months. Hang on, like if he if he managed to make every decision right last week, it can't be someone else's fault when he makes the wrong decisions this week. Look, it happens. It's football. Not everyone's going to make the right decisions all the time. I'm just bored of it being absolutely everyone else's fault. And that's not only for Emery, that's for the players. I was talking to the people I went with yesterday on the way back as we were driving back. And what is wrong with us away really baffles me because we've had five uh, five new players and they've played a significant amount of games, all of them. We've had a new manager, a whole new coaching staff. Even it, to an extent, you could kind of count Mickey and Aubameyang as new players because they were only in towards the back end of last year and didn't play too many away games, especially Mickey because of the Europa League. So there's there's an argument for seven players, but definitely five new players come in. There's so much has changed that I don't. I mean, I don't know what you can blame. You you have to go with the players because they're the constant. But even then, there's there's half a team of them that are new. I really don't know what. I, I don't know where to point the finger, and I wish I, I wish we could find somewhere to point the finger because then it'd be easy to change. Could but, you not say that's because of how we're set up for away games in comparison to home? For home games, we're set out to control the midfield and to and to well, break. That, that Whereas was, for away games, it's just always we're always set out just to invite pressure. Like if you look at United, they could they could shit house in the middle, but the way United will go and nick a result, and it's one thing obviously we do lap because we don't have many direct quick players. Is they'll literally have the three put their their three attacking players who will just peg it out the pitch and go and score from from one chance. And we don't have that. We one, don't. The only one thing I could really put my finger on that's changed from when we used to be good away is that we always had large amounts of the ball. Make And we kept the ball very well. Even if we were doing nothing, we kept the ball. And obviously, the other team can't score when you've got the ball. If you have 70% possession, nine times out of ten, you're going to win because the other team ain't going to have enough of the ball to score. I don't think we do that anymore. I don't think we go anywhere and dominate possession, which naturally means the other team is going to have the ball more, which means they're going to attack more. And they're going to have more chances to score. But I don't think that's the sole reason we can't win away. I think that's a tiny, tiny piece of the jigsaw. But Because you do see games where we do have the ball more and we still shit away. 
Um, but uh, as I said, I'd love to know what's wrong because then we could go, that's what's wrong, let's change that. And But I think the issue is yeah. that as a fan base, we don't know what's wrong. We can go, oh, they're shit, but that's not what's wrong. So I don't think the management what's wrong. I, I think it's very difficult for anyone because it's like if you're ill but you don't know what's wrong, you can't get treatment. And that's where I think we're at with Arsenal. There's clearly an illness. There's something wrong. We can't win away. But we don't know where what that illness is, so we can't fix it. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't it three seasons ago that we had the best away record in the league? Uh, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me. It was always solid away. We used to be very good away. Well, well hang on. Let's just talk about away first for a minute. So, and I'm just, I was just listening to you boys talk. Apart from Liverpool, where we got pumped, was it 5 1? We drew against Man United. And then the Chelsea early, oh, the second, third game season. To be fair, we've been okay bad? against the big teams. Well, that's what I was going to say. Just... Against the big teams, have we been that bad away from home? Yeah, but again, how, you say that, but none of them are, are wins. So we've actually only, I think it's five games we've won away. I mean, one of them was Huddersfield, where we was arguably our worst performance of the season. And then we've beat Fulham, who are going down. Obviously, I've just said Huddersfield, they're going down, or they've gone down already, and Fulham. Then we beat Newcastle who are in that relegation conversation, and who's, and Bournemouth. Bournemouth's the so, only win in the top half team. Are they, are they even in the top half? If they so, are, they the top half win. I've got a stat in front of me here um, from Twitter, which basically shows our results from our last nine away matches. So United away, we drew two all. Southampton away, we lost 3-2. Brighton away, we drew one all. Liverpool away, we lost 5-1. West Ham away, we lost 1-0. City away, we lost 3-1. Huddersfield, we shithoused the 2-1 win. Tottenham, we undeservably drew one all, and Everton, we lost one nil. So I don't really think it's fair to say our waveforms have been great at all. It's been shy. Mm, okay. And that's from that's from what beginning of December. I forgot about Southampton. Yeah, we won. I so said we beat Huddersfield and, and we beat Bournemouth in in like November twenty fifth, I think it was. Um, but that's what we're in. We're going to be mid April by our next away game. What is it? Seven days from today, fifteenth. We're literally going to be mid-April. So between November twenty-fifth and mid-April, four months, we are going to have picked up—not picked up points because we've got draws—but we're going to have had two wins, and one of them is against a team that's already relegated. So, so going on some just quickly, and we're talking about a top four finish and what points we're going to get. We got Watford away, so there's a loss. We've got nah, Wolves away, there's a loss. We've got Leicester away, there's a loss. Shit. <laughs> I don't think it will be, though. I, 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 I feel like the, the result at Everton, seeing the reaction of the fans... Seeing oh, we've got Burnley away as well. And injuries. I feel like this is going to be a massive motivation to kick forward. I think that in order to come third, because obviously we can still fight for third, and if people say it's all over coming third or fourth, they're completely fucking delusional and they're getting some sort of uh, erection over moaning about the club. Because the truth is this, we're one point off third... Spurs will drop minimum more three points, if not more. We will win our both our games, our two games at home, because on a honest level, and the Emirates Stadium is a fortress. We don't lose there. Um, we will definitely, definitely not lose all four away games. I reckon we will. I reckon we'll surprise people at Watford, just because of the Nate, just because they'll be all happy about this whole FA Cup final. And in football, it's when you're at your best that you normally drop yourself. As I always said, you're most vulnerable to obviously with scoring, conceding, whatnot. Um, I think Leicester. I'll get on towards off that. I think Leicester 
again, they're quite inconsistent. Yes, they're doing well right now. They've got players like Tielemon, who's doing really well. But then again, it gets oh, okay. got into... Pardon? What a player he is, by the way. We, we should have snapped him up. And we got Dennis Suarez instead. They've got more or less a similar deal than we, I think, got for Suarez. They've got for him. Um, but we, we can... We can well, look, we've got quite a decent record of a bar last season there. Um, Wolves away... It's touch and go with Wolves. You either they're either unbelievable, completely up for it, or they're shy. And um, if we catch them on an off day, there's no reason we can't go and scrape a win. And Burnley the same. It, it, we're playing these sorts of teams that, yes, for Wolves, for example, I'd rather have a top six home game. But then again, the way that their own seasons have panned out could massively benefit us. And realistically, we're not going to go and lose all four away games because if we do, then there's also kind of a case for. Uh, this is not a criticism here, but if we were to lose all four away games and come sixth then there's a case for Emery to get the sack at the end of the season. Look, because I, that's a, that's a, I agree with everything there, look, on the games. However, if you look at it as, as a... Look, and I'm a betting man, so I look at the stats and stuff. I'm either back in the away... If I'm, if I'm betting on these games, I'm either back in the away loss or the draw. And that's only I mean, just going yeah. on. But, but and, and I'm just getting it. That we're, we're probably a little bit biased. I agree with you. I think we can beat Watford. I think we can... Wolves are going to be tough. I think Leicester might be. Oh, fuck, I don't, I don't know. Leicester could, if we could get a draw there, maybe. Uh, Burnley, we should be able to beat them. So, look, I agree with you, and that's why I probably gone with the twelve points. But yeah, look, it's it's the stats aren't good. Yeah, look, notoriously, and obviously you could say that the old Arsenal and the old stereotype is inconsistent now because we've got a new manager and everything but notoriously we always find a way to get there we just do it in the most fucking difficult way possible and we make it as <laughs> yeah, difficult true. as possible we can for ourselves so who's to say we're not going to go and go unbeaten after the rest of the season that was our last loss you never know with Arsenal one day we can turn up we can go absolutely spank the living shit out of Tottenham who then are the greatest team in the whole entire universe and the media suck them off left right and centre but then the next day we're going to um, a team like Southampton and getting bent over 3-2 Mm. You never know with us. No, that's right. Exactly. And that, and it's the most stressful thing in the world, but it's also the sweetest thing in the world where everyone goes, oh, you shit, and then next thing you know, you finish with us Spurs last game of the season. And I'm not saying that's our competition, but then we've got third place, Champions League. doesn't really matter how the fuck we get it because it's still 50 million quid TV money, which is so important in itself. And then we're still in Champions League next season. Do you know what I mean? You can't write... You, it, football's a weird game. You can't write us off with six oh, no, or whatever, seven games that's that's left. That's why I don't bet on the shit fucking thing. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Pierre Bemiyang. Uh, Mustafi was... He's saying Mustafi was good. Doesn't this compound the... What's he trying to say? Does he needs it, to be sold. Doesn't this compound the Angus... I don't know. A N G S T. I don't know what he's talking about there. Angus. Angus, yeah. Towards he's him. Angus. Sense of in- inconsistency. Um, uh, uh, capacity of bad sliding. I don't know. He's, I think he's up, up in bad inconsistency of sliding. Well, I just completely <laughs> fucked that old question up, or is it fucking just yeah. the way it's written? Uh, yeah. That's me. I don't know. M double A Gunner, why the fuck does Onneni have the number four? Because I suppose he's got it, though. 
you know, funnily enough, I saw a really funny tweet earlier, and it was like Arsenal home, and you know, there's Arsenal home, Arsenal away ones. They're doing take the piss, and it goes Arsenal home, and it's picture Vieira with the number four, and it's Arsenal away, and it's number four Mohamed El Nene with his little shirt dressing thing. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> he he would just picked that number, wouldn't he? Start the season. Do you know? Do you know what? It seemed as though that the club knew what they were doing in terms of if he signed a deal, then he'd have sell-off value. If he'd have five years left, and it felt like they were trying to butter him up because there's no way they expected him to start week in week out like a number four should. And if they did, I swear to God, they need my optician's phone number because then they are fucking blind. Because God, he shit. Uh, Tony, should we replace Ramsey with a ball-to-ball transition CM like Shaka or a defensive midfielder like Torreira? It's a difficult one because if you want a good player, there's going to be someone that probably expects to start. Um, in all reality, Ramsey would be expecting to start. Um, he's obviously, in general, not. So are we going to sign someone better than Jack or Torreira? Probably not. So then you kind of start looking at B and C grade. Well, I mean, we're probably looking at B grade players anyway because we're not an A grade team financially. So even our first team signings, they're, they're kind of... They're not the, the players that Barcelona and Real Madrid are looking at. That's what I mean when I say B tier. Um, and then if it's going to be someone that's not going to start, you probably start looking at like C tier players. And you're trying to replace Ramsey with a, a C tier player in whatever mould. I'm not saying you're replacing him like for like with a box to box, but in whatever mould, and you're going to start struggling. This is where you start getting linked with people like Eva Benega and Denis Suarez, because. Unless you're going to sign someone that improves on Jacker and Terreri, you're not probably not going to get someone on the same level that's going to go and sit on the bench. Do you know what? I saw an article earlier, and excuse me for saying who basically wrote the article because we all know they're an absolute group of pricks, but The Sun. And there was a journalist at The Sun calling for us to replace Ramsey with a James Madison. I think that would actually be a very, 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 very good decision if that was the case. I, I really like Madison. He's not a Ramsey. I, I think he's an amazing player. Yeah, but there's no Ramsey left in football, really. No, but there's I mean, no one who has that work great. In. Madison's a 10. He's not going to play in the centre midfield. Did he not play slightly for? Do you know what? One thing, though, and this is one thing, there's another debate I have with my friends. You know how everybody was, uh, they, there was a stat that came out, I think around December, about Iwobi's pre assist rate, and everyone was laughing, going, what the fuck to pre assist? In fairness to Iwobi, what if you played Iwobi, especially with his strength and his directness, if you're playing a 4 3 3 press with, like, let's say, Torreira deep and then Jacques next to him, where you play, let's say, a Ramsey there, for example, what about giving Iwobi a go? for that driving to connect them to the three in the midfield to the three attacking players but for me there, there's two work. reasons there's, for me there's two reasons that wouldn't work one he's not fit enough and two his passing as we said is too hit and miss yeah he can occasionally play that killer ball but he would frustrate the hell out of us with the amount of times he lost it and as I said he's also not fit enough he'll, he'll go well, forward or back there was there's one gear like if he goes forward he's a bit like last night if he goes forward he ain't getting back and if he gets back he ain't getting forward no, fair enough. The other yeah. one's a Mill Smith Rowe. No, Tony loves Smith Rowe. Ever since Wilshere left, Smith Rowe's been. No, I, I wouldn't have Smith Rowe in a midfield three. I do love Smith Rowe, but I wouldn't put him in a midfield oh, three. Okay. <laughs> there you, go. you threw me there. I thought you were going to say you would have him. No, never. Never. I've got a great story for you guys off this podcast about a Mill Smith Rowe. <laughs> okay. Play um, co conservative would have started Rambo over El Nenny, made a difference overall. Tony? Fitness. There's no one in their right mind that would start El Nenny over him. Like, whether you like Emery or not, he's not stupid. Mm. So there's no way that that would be just a, a, a clear decision. 
and there's there's been rumours of Ramsey not being fit for the last few weeks to be honest so that is all I can assume it is yep uh, he goes on Clay uh, do you think when Doozy's early yellow affected us as the whole game going forward Tony you did touch on that earlier you thought it I think it, I, I think it affected us more defensively than going forward to be honest Okay, the, yeah, okay, the opposite way. Uh, it also seemed like he was useless after that. One on, he, on his mind, maybe. Um, love the pod, guys. Great idea to open a WhatsApp chat. Thank you, Clay. MWA Gunner, he's going on a bit of a rant. He's got a bit of questions. Uh, he's fucking having a wank out of the he, he must be gutted. He must be gutted. Schwinn's not here. Oh, he'd, he'd be, mate, he'd be giving himself up, uppercuts, I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know, they were, gang, they were ganging up, they were rightly ganging up on Tez the other day, so I think they formed a little alliance. Hey, hey, hey there's a reason why Schwinn's not here today. <laughs> we're, we're fighting again, didn't you know that, Tony? <laughs> that cheeky cunt had the hide to come and knock on my fucking door. So Schwinn, you're out, buddy. Um, and double A gonna. <laughs> if Urzel goes like like everyone wanted him to, fuck it. Does M, Do I have to read all this Urzel crap? Like fair dinkum. Do you know what? Really quickly about Urzel. Do you know what? I thought, Tony, I'm not sure if you would have noticed this, but one thing that I find really funny, especially at away games. Every time they sing Ozil's song out, it goes yeah, really, what? really quiet. It goes really quiet when they go with the manager's <laughs> name. Some people say every song they go, everyone just goes silent. So it's like, we've got Ozil. They're like, you just let the one sound. It's like a silence. Then everyone, someone just belts out, uh, we've got Meza Ozil, which is a complete silence. It's yeah, no, no one knows what to sing. I think the issue is, obviously, Emery's not. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I think they want to get behind him, but then... The song is nothing near as good. The Wenger version of the song is a much better song. <laughs> so it right. just goes silent. Uh, that's a crack up. Um, <laughs> now look, I'm I'm not a nerd as a hater, but I just I just get this sh- every week. Like I I I'll sit here and I'll say, like, if Granite's had a shit game, he's had a shit game. If he's played good, he's played good. I'm not going to sit here and wank over it every fucking week. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, you do. <laughs> you know who I mean, was... that's absolutely what happened. <laughs> you know who was good yesterday, though? Granite. He was brilliant, mate. El... He should have been the captain. El, N- El <laughs> Granite should have been the captain. <laughs> you know, I got more so... thrill out of looking at uh, Granite's Instagram than the fucking match yesterday. <laughs> do you know what? Just, I've got actually two quick questions for you guys. Uh... So the first one is obviously... Is semi Jacker related because my answer is that is Jacker. But who would you want as our? I mean, this whole five captain thing's going to shit. Who 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 would you pick as our captain for next season? It's oh, got to be Jacker. Granite, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's again. I for two years now, I've argued that the role of a captain is redundant. But if you're going to go on the old school captain in brackets, then Jacker is the best captain by an absolute distance. I just and, think and the, the role of a captain doesn't exist anymore. And the second one is obviously Suarez. Do you reckon they got Suarez? Because I've been thinking about it quite long and hard. The only thing that makes sense about Suarez is that he's giving, being given the six months to adapt to Premier League, bulk up, and then be ready for next season. Like that's the only thing that will make any plausible sense about his tenure at the club. Because apart from that, we sign him. To be honest, you reckon we will? That proper fuming? Huh? You reckon he will? We'll, we'll sign him, Tony. 
No, I said I hope. To be honest, I hope not. I'll be very, very disappointed if we do because whatever our reported budget is, we've it's not, not worth it twenty million. Know, but, but twenty million is going to be a chunk of it. It's going to be, you'd presume, around twenty percent. He he is not someone I want twenty percent of our budget being spent on. Yeah. Just on that on that note, really quickly, one thing that. And can I say, before I say this, just a little disclaimer, because I'm obviously my reputation, This isn't there is no intel at all in what I'm about to say. But the, I, I study football business at university, and I was working this out about our budget next for the summer. And this whole self-sustaining model that we have means that Cronky basically allows us to spend what we earn. So on that basis, we got £95 million for the Adidas and the, em- and the, uh, sorry, the, Adidas and the Emirates deal. We have fifty million pounds if we get Champions League football. That's one hundred and forty-five million, and then selling forty millions worth, forty fifty million worth of players sticks us at about one hundred ninety-five million pounds, and that's not an unrealistic figure because realistically, like him, hate him, whatever, Mustafi, we will probably get around twenty million quid for based on the fact he's a World Cup winner, he's young, he's relatively young for a defender and whatnot. And then he's on a long contract in today's market. We still could get 10, 15 million. And obviously other little sales left, right, and centre, plus obviously the mass exodus of wages we've got off the wage bill, like Ramsey, Czech and whatnot. I think there's about 500 grand a week's worth of players we've got leaving. And that's obviously before our 7% increase for financial fair play. So on that basis, there's actually zero fucking excuse to have a, have a, have a poor summer in terms of what we spend. They, because that, mean, is, that is the business framework of how the club works and based on yeah, that, well, that it is and it isn't it is and it isn't because it's, it's self-sustaining and it's not like they're going to use everything for transfers they're getting 50 million from Adidas 45 million from Yaris or whatever way around that is as you said the 95 million figure is right but it's not like every penny of that is spent on the team because as know, you said but, they've still got a wage bill they've still got to pay the cleaner as stupid as it sounds so it, you just added up everything and said oh that's 195 million but that's not all to go on playing staff. No, I know, but I'm saying that's 195 million on top of what we would have earned with everything else as well. So obviously the Rwanda deal is part of that and whatnot. But then, for example, if you look at... So obviously it was in the news, but obviously when we went after Mbappe, I think it was now two years ago, the whole purpose of that deal was Puma were going to finance it because as a point for them as a brand, it would get them a lot of... um, spectacles across the world for play for people to see um, Mbappe playing in a Puma shirt and being one of Adidas's big clubs now that they've, they've confirmed that we're on the likes there that we're on their level with Madrid and, and, and whatnot there's nothing to say that if there's a big player that becomes available they're not going to help chip into the same deal across because it further enhances them as a brand Adidas that's another thing only, that could happen Adidas have previously only been known to do it for Adidas players because they hate the idea of I'm trying to think who's their biggest player at the moment yes yeah so they hate for example that's that's the best example they hate that messi's wearing a night kick night kit every week but at the same time if let's say a player who's big with adidas comes who's at a team with nike so although this would never happen for players that are already so 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 this would never happen in a million years but let's say messi's on the transfer market for 100 million quid they'd want him to come to a team like arsenal because we represent the brands so yeah, no, that's they only do it with Adidas players. So you've got, obviously, again, look, Messi's unrealistic. So you've got to look at players that are Adidas players. That's And, and it's not, again, it's no guarantee they'd do it. And there's no guarantee they'd do it for Arsenal. But they've done it in the past. And it's not full finance. It, it's a part finance. Um, but they would only do it for a player that, because basically they see it as, we're paying this player, say Messi, we're paying him. And he's giving basically Nike all his advertising because the shirt he's wearing every week is a Nike shirt. Yeah, it's like no kid will look at Messi and go, oh, he's got Adidas boots. He'll say he's Barcelona. I want Barcelona shirt. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just simple marketing, isn't it? It's a stupid question, though. How many, how many actually look at what they're wearing? Is it that big it, a thing? It, like, it, I, yeah. I could name a couple of players that I know that, you know, what brand, but not every player would be struggling. But, but, no, because you think of the club, Ted, this is the issue that we're saying, that Messi, you think of the club, so you think Nike, yeah. when in reality, I need to pay him an absolute shit ton for, to be his their, their player again it's like uh, I, I haven't shown Jack but you've seen the picture I met Mohamed Salah yesterday yeah. and he was decked out head to toe in Adidas I wouldn't know he was an Adidas player because I watch him wearing a New Balance kit every week yeah okay yeah. So yeah. You, we it's as like, fans mostly unless you're into that kind of shit we think of the kits they're wearing and that's what pisses the sponsors off because also what you've also got to remember is obviously image rights are one thing in itself but do you know how much money there is in kit sales across the world Oh, it's be, oh, pro- it's, pro- that, it's probably yeah. the biggest market in football. So, put it, so I mean, in, the transfer market is the yeah. biggest market in football. No, obviously, obviously, I didn't mean that. I mean, like, I mean, like, apart from, <laughs> I mean, like, separate to that. I mean, like, yeah, in terms yeah. of like merchandise oh, and, and money, ticket sales money, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about it, unless you get it for seven dollars from China. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it. A shirt with Puma is 55 fucking quid. Printing makes it 72. When the player gets printed, a percentage goes to the player. The, the, whatever the percentage is going to the club and the other goes to the brand. And obviously the hiking um, prices up. So now you can also buy an authentic kit, which is 100 quid. The full kit, if you want to be a full kit wanker, shorts are another 25. Socks can be 12 to 20 quid. <laughs> and obviously prices are going up. So if you oh, want to be, if you want to be, if you want to be, if you, if you want to oh, be a be an adult in a full kit. Very classics. If you want, if you want to be a nonce to be an adult in a full kit, be my guest. I don't personally approve. Um, but it all adds up and there's a lot of fucking money in it. And if you're a little kid, for example, also a lot of kids will watch a lot. One thing that's got quite big at the moment is obviously the way that kids now look at their favorite players on FIFA and follow them in real life. So, for example, if you do something like Ultimate Team, I'm not sure, um, Tony or Tez, if you guys play, but let's say a kid goes on packs Mbappe and they love Mbappe, which basically like you build your team and you play with it online. They're then going to go want to buy an Mbappe shirt. An Mbappe shirt, it's not like they're following a club. A lot of people follow the players because of how technologies yeah. advance this, in those sorts of ways. We had a conversation about six months ago where I, I, I was saying that I think a lot of people have grown away. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of diehard fans, but a lot of people have grown away from diehard fans and they, they follow players more. I mean, it, it shows that, for Wasn't example, there who's all had Ronaldo? Twitter than Arsenal. Wasn't there a stat with Ronaldo that like something like seventy or million people unfollowed Real Madrid on social media and all followed Juventus the day he made the transfer? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the stat, but it wouldn't surprise me. I said we had this conversation not long ago. Mm. Yeah, I, like I, yeah, no, I see, I see the point. So I, look, I I watch Barcelona because I like Messi. I also like um, you know a couple of their players there. So, but I, so yeah, I won't, wouldn't wouldn't follow him to another club, but I'd still watch with interest. So. Yeah. Well, no, but that's, it's not. It's not about being a fan, Tez. But yeah. you'd watch Barcelona a lot less if he wasn't there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, wouldn't even. So, for example, if Neymar and Mbappe weren't PSG's headline, um, like front line, do you know how many fucking less fans they get watching that shit? Yeah. No one wants to watch French league. No one wants to watch them. They just want to watch the Mbappe Neymar show. Mm. Okay, boys. Let's pump through these questions. M double gun. I will read your questions. Um, so that's all right, mate. Don't what fucking send me a message later. Fucking complain and you can't. <laughs> okay, uh, MWA Gunner, do you think Giroud would have had that goal drought if we had if he had played for Arsenal, Tony? 
uh, if he had the goal drought, if he had played for Arsenal. Yeah. He did play for Arsenal and he did have a goal drought. <laughs> Are you reading this wrong or is he asked you, the wrong do question? Do you think Giroud would have ha- would have had that goal drought if we play if he if we play if we had played Arsenal? Oh, so he's saying if he played against us when he was on that goal yeah, drought, if we it depends. If it, was, if it was away, then fucking everyone scores against us. Yeah. So basically, you fucked up the question. I fucked up the question. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was confirmed that Mustafi had the worst cross in the league, but now, oh, that was a shocker. That one from Klosnach, wasn't it? Um, uh, just, just quickly, did you see? Because obviously you guys didn't record for the. You obviously didn't record for the Newcastle game. But how funny was it when Mustafi got the ball, looked like fucking Pele, like um, tip, like uh, ticky tacking all around the whole of the fucking pitch, and then put in arguably the worst fucking cross I have ever seen in my entire. Literally, shoot it straight up in the fucking gods of the stadium. Uh, it was hilarious. That was two weeks ago. I can't remember what I did last week. <laughs> Tony, do you remember it? Yeah, but I mean, it was one of them things. There was no one after he'd done really well, beat two or three players, and there was not a single person in the ground surprised that he then crossed it into the opposite. I think everyone just started laughing. Yeah, even there's pictures of Bamiang pissing himself. Oh, off. but that one from Klozenac, <laughs> yes, that one from Klozenac, that MWA gunners talk, it was a shocker. It's, uh, they're giving no one to aim at. Uh, yeah, but I think part of the problem is is giving them no one to aim at. But he no, it's a shit it was cross. over in the green stick. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a shit cross. It's yeah, terrible. It's it's like, but it's so much harder. Anyone that does anything, if you, I mean, Tez, you fire guns probably. I don't know. I don't know what you do in Australia. But <laughs> if you had six targets or one, what's easier to hit? Yeah, true. One. <laughs> nice. That was yeah, you're back. He says, uh, "Why can't we play Mickey or Wobi in a deeper role than ja- when Jacker is out?" Anyone want to comment? Uh, we've, we've covered it in hindsight. Yeah, yeah we have. Um, if Urzel goes like everyone wants him to because of his wages, Mickey will be the joint highest paid at the club. When we have another poor away game like this, is everyone going to rip him apart? Do you know what? Can, one thing I want to say quickly is, yes, they would rip them apart because their people are uh, narrow-minded, don't understand how the game is developed and whatnot. But in fairness to Arsenal, we're changing the way we used to just dish out wages. So whereas with Ozil, obviously, we just gave him 250 grand a week, Aubameyang's contract is a very, very good example of it. Because I, 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 can't, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but I think it's like he gets a base wage of 130 grand a week or something, but gets something like 20 grand a week if he scores a goal. So it's a, there's a lot more incentives to perform well in order to maximise what he's earning in comparison to Ozil, who just gets a much bigger base wage. So in that retrospect, we are trying to improve our consistency you know, of our plays you know by that incentive. saying that? That we're what? changing our ways. What contract was signed first? After two, you just highlighted. Ozil's Ozil's was Ozil's. speaking to you before. No, so what no. I remember, no, it, well, no, no, it was announced after. Yes, but what I do remember, because obviously that was, um, no, we were speaking to Ozil from a lot before the whole Bamiang discussion started. Bamiang was all no, end of November, early December, where it all kind of heated up. Ozil, we were in talks from from the summer, but really hit, um, started heating up around September, October. So the actual talk for Ozil's deal, which also probably was part of the regret, was uh, quite a few months ahead, despite the fact that the Ozil deal was announced about an hour or two after the Bamiang deal. 
is a, a few days after February the second. Was Aubameyang not result? Was Aubameyang not announced on deadline day? Uh, yeah, in the morning, and then uh, oh, so it was lunchtime. After. No, it wasn't. After it's February the second. Are you sure? Because the way I remembered it is we announced three, two or three deals that day. Because it was my, I remember it was uh, my. We, had, um, we pushed. We done Aubameyang earlier than we wanted to because Dortmund announced it. No, I know because I, I remember leaving. Funnily enough, it's when I was still at school. I remember leaving early at lunchtime and getting a notification on my phone going after Abamian going. Oh, it was um, announcing you four year deal, three deal, whatever it was. Day or the day after. Look, what do I do remember about that Özil Özil deal? And I I get I get the wage thing, and, and I've, I've said before I don't really give a fuck. It's not my money, but Sanchez. Wasn't even like he he wasn't going to sign. Remember, the fans were kicking up a bit of a stink. It was we we're going going through a bit of a bad patch. We we're discussing things with Özil. I just I just probably think they they give him what he wanted. He he knew that he probably had the upper hand. You know, the fans weren't happy. So let's. Oh, yeah, he had the ball. He had all of. He held all the aces. Yeah, no, he held all the no aces, and you know, at the end of the day. Good on the bloke. He got his wage, but it's a high wage. But yeah, okay, fans, we're going to look at the bloke who's getting the most money and expect, well, he's your star player. It's like any sport, right? If you're, if this if player's on this amount of money and he's not performing, at the end of the day, people are going to go, "Fuck, why are we paying him this amount of money?" It's it's the easy argument. It basically is the easy but argument. For me, I know what you're saying, and I agree. That's how people think. For me, it's the dumbest thing ever. We could say. Say Lacazette, everyone thinks he's had a good season. So if we double his money to get him tied down to a long-term deal in the summer, is he? Do we expect him to be double player next year? And if he's not, we all start crying every week. Oh, they is will. How oh, it works? They will though. That, that's what I'm getting at. Because they, do you know what? That's, surely that that's ridiculous. It is. Just to add to that. Just to add to that. Just to add to that. One other thing that I think has caused a big of an issue with the whole Ozil fiasco is a lot of our fans decide to fucking turn into accountants, and people want to look at the money and say, "Well, look, Mesut Ozil was the reason we couldn't sign anybody in." In um, in in the summer, and he's on 350 grand a week. We could use it to buy three players, and it's a very very common argument in the club. Like it's a, a lot of people have that have that argument. Yes, it does make it. Yes, yes, there's a point where because of financial fair play, we couldn't sign anyone that um, in January for that for that reason. But the other factor is that there's going to be that awkward spell every five or so years, which is very normal. It happens at every single club in the world where their sponsorship deals expire and their new ones come into act in the season and you're in that middle ground where you physically don't have the money to spend because you actually don't have that income from the sponsor because you're in between deals. And that's all something which I think people are failing to address. And like, look, people can say that Ozil's are 350 grand a week. But Katara's on 200. In all greatest respect to Mickey, yes, he's been a lot better since he's come back from injury in the last six or so games. But if people want to cuss Ozil being on 350 grand a week and getting a good deal... Then Mickey, based on that, that thought that Ozil is not worth more than 180, 200 grand a week. A, Mkhitaryan is not worth more than 80. But B, Aaron Ramsey, I'm sorry, everyone can... Yes, he's done great for the club. Yes, he's scored two cup final goals, done all this shit. I, and I guess it's a free deal. But not under any fucking reason is he worth to even the 250 grand a week he allegedly asked Arsenal for and we said no. Because he's not. So... There's so much inflation in the game right now, which people fail to address. They'll use it an insult, but they'll still, like, literally bow down and suck off players like Ramsey for leaving. He should never leave. When if he had a couple of bad games, like he not like he does in the season, why the fuck are you paying him three hundred grand a week? Will be the same argument. It's just such a 
it, it's just such an easy debate to have, which just isn't at all correct. Well, and it's just such an I, easy... It's an easy way out. I saw, yeah, look, I saw what everyone's saying, but, look, maybe people are looking at it, though, like... And I don't know if people run businesses or what they do, right? But I look at it... Not, I'm not, I don't look at it like this, but I'm just trying to think of the other way. So, if, if Tony, if I'm paying you to, to do a job and I'm paying you $80 a bloody... Uh, an hour or something, I'm paying Jack fucking a hundred dollars an hour and jack's not performing well i'm gonna sack jack and say mate you're not performing i know it's a it's not exactly the right scenario but i'm just wondering whether people look at it like that well i mean my my issue with it is is what i just said before that his ability isn't going to improve with his wage packet so he was on 150 or whatever he was on they've given him 300 or 350 and people suddenly expect him to be double the player. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to see Ramsey next year because if Juventus are getting three or four times the player he is at Arsenal, he's going to win the Ballon d'Or. I agree with that. <laughs> that's that's what, apparently how it works. You get more money and you, you become a better player. Do you know what? One, one other thing to add to that is that one thing I've noticed in the fan base, and something I tweeted earlier, which, is, which I want to just address here, is that it's very easy to go and cuss Ozil and cuss Xhaka and cuss all the players when they're not performing on the pitch. But at the end of the day, what's the fucking point? Because if you're an Arsenal fan, you support Arsenal Football Club. You don't support the, the manager. You're not here to support the manager. You're not here to support anything You're here to support the club as a whole. You're there to support the red and white and the, and, and, the, and the crest. Because the club will live longer than any single person in the club. People need to stop getting on their high horses to go and berate every single player they can, especially during a game. The truth of the matter is, if you don't like a player, so for example, people, let's say Ozil for, 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 for points, say, because everyone overall likes to slag off Meza Ozil. Yes, you may want him to go. Yes, you may think he's not worth 350 grand a week or whatever a bullshit argument you want to make. But he still plays for your club. And when he plays for your club, you back him. If a player, let's say Mustafi, realistically, Mustafi's going to go in the summer. And yes, he's shit. We all know he's shit. But you've still got to support him for the 90 minutes he's on the pitch. And you've also got to support him while he plays for your club. Yes, you may not like him, but you support the club. And if you want to pick up players to abuse their right and centre, and, and even to a extent hinder their development in, time, in the case of young players, you're not backing the club. You're letting your own agenda interfere with how you are as a fan. Yeah, it doesn't Jay, matter if you... It's, Jay, uh, but but when, when your team loses to... A, to and look, Everton, I don't know whether they're a bigger club, smaller club than us, but I like to think the Arsenal's a bigger club than Everton, right? But yeah, when, you're, when, your team, when your team loses against Everton... Mate, the fans have got to blame someone. They're ever going to blame the players, or they're ever going to blame the, blame the manager. Some will blame. And I understand. And I understand that. Everyone's and not I going understand to go, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's where the. But you've also is. got to look at it that you're going to lose games. You're not going to go unbeaten, invincible. And I think it's quite. I think there's quite a spoil attitude within the Arsenal football club fan base as a whole. That we're entitled to win when we're not entitled to win. People needed to see that the season's a transition season. People needed to see that it's not going to go so smoothly, and it's never good. That's life. But you've also got to look at it that people are going to go. It's his fault, and now top four is over. No, it's not. Get over it. We lost the game. We just mean we lost our game in hand. It's not the end of the world. We've still got six or seven games to go and prove ourselves. Talk at the end of the season. Don't talk when everything's still to play for with seven, six, seven games left. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People want to say people want to rule everything out. When the truth of the matter is, the only thing that we lost was going two points clear, which we easily could have gone and lost any other game of the week. 
And that's failing to understand that, if we, for example, United and Chelsea play each other, United play City, City play Spurs. They've all got difficult games. Like, for example, people also look at Spurs and think that, that yes, they went on a bad form and they're going to push forward. In the greatest respect, I'm not, I'm not saying Spurs can go and fuck up every game at their new stadium, but people also underestimate how hard it is to start playing at a new stadium. Every team that comes wants to spoil the party, wants to be the first team to beat you. A lot more people take it, especially for teams lower down in the league where they don't have much more to play for. For example, Huddersfield. Obviously, Spurs can spack Huddersfield 6-0. There's nothing to say that that could be, look, we've got relegated, but this would be a nice one for the fans. And they somehow go and scrape a 1-0 or they go and play like they've done in their best games and they go and win 2-0 at Spurs. Another example, West Ham could go and beat Spurs at the new stadium. There are so many examples in football where teams can turn up because the occasion ought to compensate for other other misdemeanours in the season that you never know what's going to happen. And it really boils my blood to see how the fans, especially at the club now, one result means everything's fucked. When the truth of the matter is, it's so far from the case. Mate, Sorry for I, getting a bit of a rant about that, but it's really I, aggravating me. No, nah, it is. I, I, but I know blokes that, and, and just to finish up quickly, because we've got to pump through those questions, but I know blokes, mate, that won't get up for work the next day and go to work if their team's lost. Because they are so angry that their team's lost. They're down, they're, they're just in a shit mood. Because they do wear the, the heart on their sleeve and look, something I wouldn't do, but I do know people that, that don't go to work the next day if their time's lost. That just shows their lack of lack of desire for themselves as well. Right. A football team shouldn't dictate one's happiness. Look, right. we all love Arsenal. We, we do anything for the club. At the end of the day, we get on with normal life and we carry on during the week between games. We look forward to the games. The game is the highlight of our week. But... It shouldn't, it shouldn't leaving a game losing a game shouldn't send somebody into a depression no, do you know what I mean it just shows I, I, I get yeah. where you're coming from I, look I know that you know that but I do know blokes that don't go to work next day anyway we've got to move only, on to these questions only exceptions losing a derby <laughs> we've got to get on to these questions because these great people ask them so we better hit them up um Tony Clay says, should have should have Emery considered dropping Ozil deeper to play alongside Gwendouzi this match to generate some kind of link between attack and midfield? Maybe a dumb question, but we were calling out for someone with passing nonce in midfield or all game long. It is not a, a horrendous suggestion, to be honest. Uh, you would then, the, the issue, I mean, look, in that term, in terms of with the ball, uh, we would improve. The issue is going the other way. Can you see Ozil tracking Sigurdsson? No. No, that's so, a problem. Uh, it would have, I mean, look, in reality, Hell Nenny didn't do that either. So yeah. it can't have been any worse. But again, it's another one. If we'd done it before the game and, and Sigurdsson overran Ozil the way he overran whoever else was there, then you'd be going, oh, what a shit decision. Okay, finish up. Uh, Vish says, well, Emery is not a miracle worker. It seems Arsenal's weak mentality away from home. It's ugly yet again. How many seasons and players do we have to go through before we can play with the right mentality away from home as we do at the Emirates? Bottlers FC, uh, we, he also says we could have claimed third spot and had a two-point cushion going into the final five, but Arsenal, just like the Spurs, find a way to fuck it, fuck, fuck cock things up. Um, realistically, we... Where where do you think we'll end up in the table considering our remaining games? Well, we all talk of grade 12. Jack said 14. Schwinn would be, I think he'd be around about the 12 to 14 as well, but I could be wrong. 14 is um, probably for thirds. Yeah. 14, uh, for me, 14 guarantees it. Yeah. yeah. If not I think 12 should do it. I think 14 would 
I'd be fucking astounded if we got 14 points. Did, did Schwinn comment on this, on that, when the chat, Tony? When you said 12? Uh, he said, I don't care. We, I, I always said we weren't going to get top four. I remain by that. I said it's, that. Very ne- it's very oh. negative from Schwinn. <laughs> yeah, he's been in a bit of a mood just the last few days. Yeah, he's not happy, can he? had a little kick on me the other day. Well, that's why he's not on the podcast in the boot of my car. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, hack on Larson. We could have lost by three or four goals easily. They fucked up so many chances. I lost count. Good old Arsenal yesterday, wasn't it? All men forward and arse spread with lube on the counter. <laughs> okay, boys, um, that's us. Uh, we've touched on Napoli. We've touched on all the games coming through. We've everything, nothing else you want to touch on, Tony. Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you liked the Aussies. She's an exception. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Jack. Anytime, honestly. More no, than happy to. No worries, mate. Uh, yeah, look, it'll just depend on how Schwinn's attitude goes this week. Um, he, I'm just waiting for, for him to admit the chances created. So as once as we, we clear that little thing up, mate, he can come back. So <laughs> You might be here for a while, buddy. <laughs> uh, ple- pleasure as always, Tony. Yeah, see you later, Snake. <laughs> <Can't>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for downloading. And you can follow us at clockend underscore talk on Twitter. Uh, we're also on all good podcast apps, YouTube and Facebook. Um, thank you, everybody, and catch us all next week. Bye.